you still have to get it done at the time that it really counts, which we have not managed to do. It's the first time that you could genuinely say that there is a chance that we could be World Cup champions. Subscribe to the Rugby Stream on the OTB Sports app now. OTB AM with Gillette Labs. Get the ultimate shave or your money back. Neon Night Edition, available now. Half past seven. Good morning to you. It's <laughs> Do you know what I was doing? I was watching uh, Shane Hannon's Instagram page. That's what's going on there. <laughs> Shane Hannon, good morning to you. There you go. Hope that you, hope you found something interesting. Kathleen McNamee, how are you doing? I'm doing very well, thank you. I was deliberately looking at your page because somebody mentioned you were at the overlap last night, oh, so I was yes. just having to see what sort of VIP seats you got. Right, yeah. yeah we're in yeah. the cheap seats. Ah, they're grand seats, yeah. Are they? they were very good seats, actually. They were grand. <laughs> now yeah. he's upgrading himself now. They yeah. were very good. Lot of perfect view. Three arena. I feel like yeah. most venues in Ireland are so small that you can't really have a bad seat in them. True. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This Sports venues be... might be different, but like gig venues. They were pretty back, pretty far back, Kathleen, I won't, I won't lie to you. No, I've saw Dave from Dermot and Dave and Neil Delamere were sitting very close to me. Oh, now look at the, the yeah. name. Dropping the names. Yeah, 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 yeah. Very yeah, good, yeah. Of course. Yeah. Any good? Very good night. Very good night. Um, the lads were in good form. Paul McGrath, special guest, appeared. We were all like, Jesus. The reception Paul McGrath got, understandably, was, uh, was, was brilliant. The lads were in good form. Uh, they were down in Cork, kissing the Blarney Stone in recent days. They were in Croke Park yesterday, playing a bit of hurling. We, we were, uh, had a clip up on screen in the three arena last night. Gary Neville, not bad at hurling. Decent. Cricket well, we already know this, because he, on the um, Borgash Energy Stayed, Horse, yes. had, uh, tried ah, to yeah. tried to score the ball, uh, score the ball, score the, the ball, ball. <laughs> hit the ball into. A Welcome to Ireland's <laughs> premier sports radio <laughs> show, guys. Right, that's right. <laughs> it's early. Um, do you remember we had the boxes up and he tried to puck, ah, it, yes. puck it into the three, two, one? Yeah, yeah. Job. Yeah, that's that's true. Big, uh, big cricketer, of course. Big cricketer back in the day. There was a couple of photos that, that went up on screen last night. They were they were in good form. They were talking about the predictions for the year. Uh, Carragher thinks Liverpool won't get top four, which is interesting. Uh, Roy Keane also agreed and thought Spurs were going to finish out as top four. Gary Neville softening his stance on Arsenal not being title contenders. Uh, now he still thinks City will win the league, but uh, mm-hmm. certainly seems to be moving closer to the okay, yeah, Arsenal. Is that the eight point lead that they currently have at the top of the table? I would say that has it? a small impact <laughs> on that. Uh, he was also asked about like funny Carragher slagging him to get off the fence on the, the Man United ownership, and he was saying he doesn't care whether it's the Qataris or Jim Ratcliffe or someone else. He thinks if Jim Ratcliffe buys the club with a sixty nine percent share, he he wants some you know him to encourage someone to take the other. Thirty-one percent, um, and and complete a full, a full takeover. Uh, but he just wants the Glazers out. Was essentially his uh, his uh, angle last night. Yeah, a lot of booze last night when when the likes of Jack Grealish and, funnily enough, Paul Gascoigne went up on stage. And that just I I don't understand. Or up on up on screen. Sorry. Yeah. Why do we do we? I was not like, is like this another Paul surprise guest <laughs> as a nation? Uh, yeah, it was. Uh, it, I, I think everyone was just leaning into that. They just talked about USA '94 and Jack Charlton, and there was maybe a bit of. Patriotism in the air. Was it like what percentage of the show was chatting to Roy Keane, which is really the only reason people were there? Yeah, probably. It was. Pro- he was probably sixty, sixty-five percent. I would imagine. Mm-hmm. Like I think Carrig- or Carragher and Neville realised they were the, the probably the pawns, and he was the king. Mm-hmm. And and even afterwards, like Keane kind of stayed behind on stage, signing people's jerseys for a significant p- portion of time, whereas Carragher and Neville kind of disappeared. Um, so Roy kind of playing to his crowd. Mm-hmm. One of his mates, his former Cove Ramblers teammates, Handsome Bob. 
came up on stage at one stage and uh, I think he was he was driving him back to Cork last night but he, he was a character as well mm. um, but you could just tell the relationship the two of them had and he was saying Roy Keane like people see this Roy Keane up on stage and on, t- on their TVs but they don't realise he's a brilliant friend like to all the lads down in Cork he, he still stays close to them and comes home regularly and he's always the this is what Hans and Bob was saying or is this what Roy himself Hans was saying <laughs> yeah <laughs> Hans and Bob was, was saying this but no it was uh, it was really interesting just to kind of hear the the different stories live like you, you, you feel like you're sitting watching watching them on TV but no it, it was well put together are Carragher and Neville any more tolerable on stage than they are on comms and stuff like I thought yeah. when they first started I kind of enjoyed the analysis they used to give but I just feel like now they've just kind of retreated into these caricatures of what people expect them to be I know and they're kind of leaning into that yeah. but I think I think uh, an environment like last night on stage is where they're in their element you know the commentary kind of grates some people a little bit you know whether well, some people love the two lads in commentary of course but then there's others who are like can we just have unbiased football commentary and not Carragher or Neville screaming and shouting every time there's a goal or a chance for their respective teams it's even the back and forth that they have on Twitter like one of them will say something and the other one will quote tweet it and then the other one will quote tweet them again and I'm like lads this is what WhatsApp was invented for like <laughs> yeah, <leave laughs> we, we don't all need to see your conversations yeah. mm-hmm. the couple of the biggest cheers the night of course were Carragher slagging United fans for the 7-0 recently and the Liverpool fans leaned into that one I'd say the bans was off the charts oh Valencia was brought up a number of times yeah. and Neville tried to defend himself and talk about his win ratio not being as bad as people Realise thirty five percent, and they, they brought up on screen. I think Roy's at Ipswich is thirty four percent or something, one percent less. But at Sunderland, he was like forty two percent. So there's a lot of uh, you know clutching at straws and a bit of hashtag banter. But um, yeah, a lot of off the ball fans there last night as well. So oh, as in you were getting a lot of attention. Well, I'd say there was a lot of. I'd say in the comments now, if there's anyone who was there last night, let us know what you thought. But certainly there was a cross. You had people coming up to you. Do you know what, Kathleen? I was out last Saturday after the um, the Ireland match. Yeah. The place. I don't know if anybody else saw, but the the place was off the chart. The buzz around town was unreal. I have to say, uh, you know, it's a sort of city that gets taken over by a game like that in a way that, like, you know, I think if you're in London or you're in Paris, yeah, and that sort yeah. of thing happens. Mm. It tends to just soak into it. Whereas, like, it feels like. It permeates the personality of the town for that night. Mm. Anyway, um, this fella came up to me at some point and he was like, oh, to be him. And he was like, you know, um, big, big fan. Uh, Redmond from Cavan. Good morning to you. How are you getting on? Redmond but you've Cavan. never met a bigger Shane Hannum fan. Oh, oh, really? Oh, honestly. And a Cavan man too. Yeah, exactly. And he was he was definitely sort of despite himself. Big praise himself. there, Shane. <laughs> he was like, uh, you know, I shouldn't, I shouldn't like this guy, but there what's not to like? Well, see, I, I've praised Cavan a couple of times on the show. So you know, keep your your enemies close and all that stuff. But no, I I, th- I think I've, I've I've had some very nice words about Calvin. So well, I don't know. He wasn't he wasn't coming from any sort of sycophantic thing here. Right, it was right. Just, he just enjoys you. Shout out to Redmond. Yeah, this morning. Um, what? So you had a lot of people coming up to you last night. That's obviously uh, what you were just a few, of. There's a few off the ball fans for sure. Mm. Um, but like it was, but it was the it was a breeding ground for for off the ball fans. To be fair, I mean you're you're, you're walking sure. in and it, it was like, yeah, it was like I'd say it was. 80-85% male but there was a good female percentage there as well it was it was a nice mix it was almost like a, a night out for a lot of people I felt people were, people were dressed up and kind of going and entertain me kind of thing yeah. you know, I always thing. find those crowds kind of interesting because I've, I've gone to quite a few football live shows and generally I'm one of the like 10% of women yeah. in there and sometimes it's like 5% girls who've gone along with their boyfriends or their husbands mm. and you see them sitting there not all that interested and the other 5% are actually there and interested and I don't know some of those crowds I've always found really uncomfortable yeah. to be in like I remember I went to see one particular podcast in Dublin in Liberty Hall and uh 
there was a couple of guys sitting beside me and they actually turned around and apologized to me halfway through it because they were like, we're so sorry, you have to sit through this. I did go by myself, so I didn't have anyone else there. To, like, and what was the stuff coming from the stage or from the floor? From, or? It was kind of a mixture. Like the lads on the stage were kind of feeding off what was going on in the crowd. And it was just like real laddish sort of banter and, you know, everyone getting like a little bit too drunk and kind of shouting up things that you don't really want to hear. So I've always been reluctant since then to go to these things by myself, which is what I loved about like Kelly Cates or someone like that hosting last night because yeah. I think it changes the whole dynamic. Definitely. That's a good point. And, and, like, she, and she's she, a really good broadcaster as well. She was in charge last night, which was, which was brilliant to see. Like they, they, kind of, they had her and Josh Denzel and there probably wasn't a need for maybe if I had one criticism. But probably, I think that's the format, isn't it? That's, yeah, that's the gig. I guess. I guess. But like she was well able to kind of navigate the whole thing and there was there were there were things being shouted up on stage but it was all in good humour and, and like USA 94 came up a team photo popped up on screen and Roy was like reminiscing about that team and he was like well at least we had balls and bibs it's not not so subtle hint at Saipan mm. but then like you know Josh Denzel might move on then do you know where is everyone where like, your go, like, go, come go, on now come on lean into that so there was a couple of moments of that of has that, that um, dynamic changed Kathleen do you think over the last few years or is it like how long ago was that uh, that was about three years ago now. Okay. I don't know. It actually put me off kind of going mm. to those sort of shows. Um, I've been, actually, I've been to a few off the ball ones, which I've really enjoyed. And I'm not just saying that because I am employed by off the ball, I'm, but I'm a big <laughs> relief there. But I mean, it is, it is, I think, uh, it's just it's fair it, enough observation when you get, yeah, it's just, it's an interesting dynamic and it's, it's the same thing that sometimes you get when you walk into a stadium as well. And I don't get it as much, obviously when I go to women's matches, but like I've walked into a lot of stadiums by myself and never felt particularly comfortable. Mm. So I kind of always make sure I go to these things with someone else. Mm. And I'm like, oh, I wish I didn't have to have that second thought in my head. Yeah. You know, that you just go and enjoy the night and maybe a bit of crack or whatever. Um, yeah, I don't know if it has changed. I would be surprised if it has. Okay. I, I, that, that's really interesting to hear. Yeah. And, and, and I, I actually, I was surprised. I'm not going to say what the podcast was, but I was actually kind of surprised when I went that it was that sort of mm. atmosphere because when you listen to it, it would have been one of the ones that was kind of vaguely progressive in terms of getting like female voices on the podcast early days. It was progressive in terms of actually covering women's football before a lot of other places were doing it. So mm-hmm. I was like, are they playing into what they expect a Dublin crowd to be or is this just how they are normally? Mm-hmm. I don't know. It was interesting. Uh, Mark Dunning says he was at the overlap last night. Very enjoyable. Biggest ovation was definitely for Paul McGrath. Yeah, needless to say, it's funny. Like McGrath clearly remembers his Villa days more uh, uh, passionately than his Man United days. I think Alex Ferguson pushing him out the door came up a couple of times, and I think he blamed the whole uh, partying at Man- in Manchester on Norman Whiteside massively. Whiteside's name came up a couple of times. He's like, well, Fergie did. Uh, no, McGrath. McGrath was like, oh, well, okay. I was only up to bother because Norman was Norman was bringing me out. You know, Let's they're still laps. very good buds. Yeah. If uh, the, the, as Kathleen says, they don't tend to keep it to WhatsApp. It's, uh, it's very visible on, on social. Yeah, 100%. No, but it was, it was brilliant. Um, like, it was just good, a, a nice event to, to get. Like, it, it's just something to do in a midweek mm. night in Dublin, you know. But, uh, yeah, I, I could. Especially I during an international people. break after the Grand Slam has happened. Exactly. Exactly. And it's, it's, it's a perfect opportunity for them because you've got such a mix of United and Liverpool fans mm. and people who are just Neville or 
Keane fans or Carragher fans as well so uh, no definitely a, a nice night Darrell Toole suggesting that I was checking for an invite to Gary Ringrose's gaff and it does seem <laughs> as if like a party. I, when I saw that the first time I was like oh that's cool you know you don't see that stuff too often and now I've seen it like a million times because it's just <laughs> popping up all over the place I love it. every time it comes up though I rewatch it because I feel like I see something different you know you pick out a different player or I was slightly disappointed in Matt Hansen that he is the sort of player that like wears the jumper around his shoulders tied like that I was like Mac I thought you were a better well, I think when you come from an Australian background you see it's just it represents a whole I different I think on day three or four of system. drinking you don't care what you look like yeah. Yeah. you probably haven't dressed I'll Peter Ravani in the trackie and it's like <laughs> I did like the way they were all in track suits but like the Leinster lads were in like slightly fancier hoodies they were like different coloured hoodies and then Ross Byrne and Peter O'Mahony coming up in the back in just like their pure black like yeah. Adidas Nike whatever it was track suits these Leinster lads are a bit posher P- Peter O'Mahony yeah. seemed to be revelling in the fact that he was part in South Dublin like it was like, what am I come well, on kid someone who said to him as he was walking in the door this is South Dublin Peter welcome uh, yeah, yeah. oh yeah that was that Gary Ringrose's father was that yeah. what was going on there I mean imagine Ringrose's who were at home like sort of ah. enjoying the few days and the nice quiet few days what time was this oh, there's the bell I wonder is that the po- what's happening it was very early was it? it I don't know it was daytime it was still yeah. bright outside yeah there was, so, there was also some old lad out of the gate of the house where the minibus had pulled in and obviously couldn't believe his luck that like all these steaming Irish players that just top people like what's going on here um, do keep the comments coming into us a few in about the Argentina uh, homecoming last night that seemed like a very emotional they all seem to get World Cups I don't know were they like little paper World Cups that everybody gets to take one home or they actually produce these things or do players get them is this something that happens? I didn't know. No, I wasn't aware. Did you see the video of Messi coming out of the restaurant in Buenos Aires during the week? 5,000 people Oh outside. my Jesus. He was bombarded. Before he I even thought you were going to say Owen Sheehan coming out after him. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like, yeah. yeah, lads, One of those great people. night. Yeah, exactly. That was mad stuff. But uh, yeah, it's like, to be expected, he's, he's gone from, I guess, semi-god to god now, status in, in, in Argentina, which is fair. I just want to work um, Wayne Rooney was busy on Twitter himself last night with um, congratulating Harry Kane and having passed the, his uh, goal-scoring record mm. for England. Do you know this really pained me last night when Harry Kane passed it because Ellen White was so close last summer to doing it. She was like three goals off and she had so many opportunities to surpass it and she didn't do it and obviously she's retired now and also welcoming you a baby so congratulations to her. <laughs> but like I was just like, oh, so close. Yeah, I know. It would have been great. It must be so frustrating when you retire that close to a figure. You're mm. like, ah. Well, you think about it as well in the context of Six Nations, and we'll talk to Ronan Agarra's coming on with us in a few minutes' time, but um, <clears throat> the Sexton kick, mm. like, oh, I mean, it was just, it's his last Six Nations game. Just could have, like, kicked, like, missed a couple where it wasn't really important a bit earlier in his career, and it could have held on to that for a while. I'm sure he's not going to say that to us this morning. But, I thought um, you were going to say they should have stopped the game and had a ceremony and, and well, there, there was the fireworks. There was, um, what, in, like, a LeBron James sort of a, you know, ah, when, they no. st- when they stopped the match. That would be the equivalent, wouldn't it, if the, if the game had stopped <laughs> yeah. against England and everybody well, had that, like When we had down. the conversation on the show, Jer was like, I think it's totally right that they stopped the game for him and that they had this big ceremony on court. And Shane, you were very anti it, and I was far, also the far, same. It was a farcical suggestion by Jer, I have to say. Yeah. I know he's not here to defend himself, but Jesus. <laughs> well, all the more reason to say it. Yeah, exactly. Lean in. No, no, ridiculous stuff. Don't be stopping a match. Just um, get on with it. But there was a standing ovation uh, for Sexton yeah, at that time. For, and for a, a matter of seconds. Yeah. And then they could just but like that's the all you need as well. Like you have your celebrations at the end of the game. I don't understand why you would ever stop a sporting Thank event, you. make everyone else sit there and like watch as you get all your photos taken, and you're standing there with your like. Imagine if Sexton brought out his kids in the middle of the pitch, six three down. Yeah, and everyone had to stand there and watch what was. He happening. kicks a penalty to go six three down, <laughs> and they just stop the match. 
But I think the LeBron James thing, like people, we are gathered here today to celebrate LeBron, LeBron James passing the scoring thing. Whereas with Sexton, it was like a, it was the fourth or fifth yeah. biggest storyline, yeah. including his own final Six Nations game there. Yeah. Um, but yeah, fair play to Wayne Rooney. Um, sending out the congratulations. Like, I just can't feel as if, and you'll have a biased view on this, Catherine, I appreciate, but I can't ever feel as if I can warm to Harry Kane in the same way that I did with Rooney. And maybe that was just um, a generational thing. I'm not sure. I, you know, Rooney had a bit of the rogue about him. Um, I feel like the line, a lot of, of people have that about Harry Kane, though. Like, I don't know, is it his personality necessarily? Because he's not a character, really. He doesn't have, you know, he's not a big star. He's a big star, but he doesn't have a big sort of platform where he talks out a lot of, about a lot of things or he does a lot of things in general. And I even like you're reading the papers today, you would kind of expect there to be a bit more about Harry Kane. True. And like there's no essays from people being like, Harry Kane is the greatest footballer of this generation and we're so lucky to have him and these are all the reasons why he's amazing. It's all very cold and factual about what he's actually done. Yeah, he's a bit he's a bit vanilla, he's a bit wooden and like he for example had an, an unbelievable opportunity as England captain of the World Cup to wear the armband and actually make a stand on something in Qatar mm. and didn't and I, like that was the most disappointed I've ever been in a footballer I think I was like this you have fair point and spoke a really good game oh, but just Jesus. never backed it up walk the walk man yeah. now as a footballer I think he, he deserves more respect people kind of point to oh he scored what four against San Marino one time and that was that his 18th penalty I think out of all those goals for England last night so people point to all these things but the fact is he's England's top goal scorer of all time now and his goals per game ratio I think is better than Rooney better than Bobby Charlton well he got there 39 Owen. games before Rooney so, so you have to respect that like mm. I, I mean like I, I think Jimmy Greaves record was maybe better goals per game but like to, to score that many goals for your country like I think he scored minutes into his England debut or seconds into his England debut against Lithuania years ago I've never met an English fan either though who talks about him all that warmly or no. mm. like there's a lot of other players on the team that they seem a lot more fond of rather than him and I, I wonder what it is because like Rooney was definitely a far more controversial character mm. especially in his earlier days but there still seems to be a fondness there maybe for him maybe it was because of that you know yeah like, maybe people love a story arc and with Kane it's just like zoop, yeah you know and he's like big and he's he'd be a great man for a bit of football speak like you know there's I'm sure he's a real person behind oh. the facade but like everything you hear from him is just Stock answer four four two. Maybe it'd be great when he when he retires and goes into media possibly and and becomes interesting. And maybe there's an interesting guy there behind it. But maybe that's what it takes to be a top footballer, to be a top goal scorer for your country. You need to be a little bit boring and uh, concentrate on the football. Each to their own, I guess. He's just not a character, so we're just um, yeah, we're never going to look at him like we do Wayne Rooney. Shade Geelong Cats and the uh, clue about this comment is in the name on YouTube says they did the same in the AFL with uh, Buddy Franklin last year when he scored his one thousandth uh, goal. Thousands of people invaded the pitch and the game had to be stopped. Not planned, just couldn't be stopped. <laughs> well, I see if it's unplanned. Well, I mean, imagine thousands of people jumping on the Aviva pitch. I mean, would have been, the game would have been not, the game wouldn't have just stopped. The game would have been called off. Yeah, it's Something true. like that I almost don't mind as much. Like, obviously, health and safety and all that sort of crack. But that's, like, spontaneous. It's not... I don't know. It just... The LeBron stuff just felt really, like, commercial or... It didn't feel like it was for him or for the team. It felt like it was for the photos. And It depends. on the, There was a moment where, this is the, the moment on a Friday, where I mentioned Ronnie O'Sullivan's name. Uh, no, it, won't be the, it won't be the last this take morning. You, take your drink if, uh, if, if you had Ronnie O'Sullivan for 7.48am. Um, but it, like he, he hit his 1,000th century a couple of years ago and, and it was in a deciding frame against Neil Robertson. But when he hit the, the, the ball that went in that 
took him to 100 points that break the break was still not over but he did stop for a minute and everyone stood up and applauded and he kind of waved the crowd and smiled and mm. took, took it in for maybe all of 15 different, seconds different though that's different but then he finished the break and got yeah. on with it and it's also different yeah it's different because there's like 10 people in the stadium in the, there was more than 10 people you know, there Adrian. and also it's not like he's not impacting anybody else but himself what do you mean like you know if Sexton has to go around and take the applause or LeBron does or old Buddy Franklin here like there's another 30 people on the, on the, the you know 11 to 30 people on the pitch who, who's impact you know who are impacted by this like you know if you're Manu Tulangi you're like grand 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 let's get on with the game this is bullshit let's get on with it. whereas he, you know he's just got his opponent who's probably like nah fair enough yeah so if, if a golfer hits a hole in one you, you don't they, they stop they stop they take the Both applause they there's no panic like it's you know no rush <laughs> no rush nobody's in a panic anyway you know what I mean <laughs> trying to think of a good example to diminish your argument but <laughs> doing it live on air is not easy <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll go back to that yeah. uh, a reminder by the way here's what's coming up at the show between now and 10 for you this morning uh, busy old show as I mentioned we've run a garage standing by he's going to chat to us in a couple of minutes time uh, plenty to get stuck into it Raj about obviously first time we've had him on since the Grand Slam Shabana Hearn football writer will join us after that uh, we're going to chat about a really interesting weekend in the Women's Super League that is uh, just after 8 this morning Alan Quinlan is going to look ahead to the Women's Six Nations first weekend there as well as uh, talk about the under 20s in a little bit more detail and as to uh, exactly where those players are going to go now that that's uh, wrapped up we'll have the Friday fire pit for you at uh, just before 9 this morning uh, we've been chatting with Kevin Caban he touches on loads obviously it's uh, primarily a look ahead to Monday night and the game against France and uh, very much feeling spoiler alert very much feeling Seamus Coleman needs to start that and Hugo Keenan in conversation with Nathan as well from during the week so that's what's coming up uh, we've loads of really interesting fire pit topics Kathleen I'm sure oh yes we definitely do not to, not to spoil anything. I love spoil. Uh, I love. I love spoil. I love. I had a fire pit fan at the Aviva. Uh, come up to me and say, "Oh, really? Yeah, love right. the fire pit." Because he gets a bit of it. hate in the comments Plenty on YouTube. Yeah, yeah. yeah, continue. We will. Uh, we, well, we've noticed that uh, you know Shane again taking the opportunity to tell us that people have recognised him in the street. No, no, recognise the fire pit. This was the fire pit. This was nothing about nothing. But they recognised you enough to actually come up to you and say, "Oh, you're Shane Hanlon." I was, just a, I was just a vessel that helped you know bring the fire pit to everyone's lives. Yeah, the only time I've had people come up to me once that recognised me from the show and it was a very strange experience. I was a bit like, oh, am I going to be like walking around Dublin randomly now when other people are going to come well, up? It hasn't happened, but the people that they complimented was Ashling O'Reilly, said she's a great reporter, which she is, and actually you, Shane. There you go. <laughs> there you go. John Duggan gets a lot of love, r- rightfully, I think. You know. um, there'll be more of that. Kathleen, thanks, William, for the minute. Talk to you in, in a little while. It is uh, 7.52. You are watching OTB AM and uh, we're live with Gillette Labs. Get the ultimate shave or your money back. Neon Night edition is available now. Ronan Agarra, good morning to you. Morning, team. How are we? Flying it. How are you keeping? Good, yeah. Thank you. Back into top 14 this week. So, um, busier week than an average Six Nations week. So, um Back to reality, game tomorrow night in Bordeaux. So, um, had a good training week and um, trained this afternoon and um, hopefully get on the bus tomorrow. But there's a lot of uh, um, manifestations, a lot of protests in France. So, hopefully we won't, we'll be able to get to Bordeaux by bus tomorrow. That's the the short-term goal. Right, I can imagine that's uh, probably a weekly protest uh, in France. Exactly, yeah, a weekly, weekly thing to have to get around in some form or another. Come here, what, what um, you, you watched the game obviously last weekend, where did you watch it? Um, I watched it at home, at home, in, in, in France. 
What happens when uh, Sexton stands up and he knocks it over and the record is gone? At that exact minute, what are you doing? Very little, having a cup of tea and eating chocolate. <laughs> <laughs> are you like Graf? A very natural process. I think yeah, it's interesting, the reactions. Of, it's a little bit like your previous conversation. Everyone's reaction is a little bit different. And some people um, expect you, I suppose, to be um, react differently. But it was always going to happen once Danny continued playing, you know. So if you can't get your head around that, uh, you have an issue, you know. So um that was great. There was some good shots of Laurel and the kids in the, in, in the crowd. Are, uh, she's a lovely girl. And um, she's been with Johnny through it all. I understand the sacrifices that Jess has put into my career for Laurel. would be very much the same. Because it wasn't all smooth sailing for Johnny. You know, I think you've got to remember that and how we started. And uh, it's a great story for resilience. Uh, but coming back to your question, I was on the coach um, uh, watching it. And... Um, you know I mean, I think there's been a big emphasis, obviously, on individual records. But as Johnny rightly said, it was about winning a Grand Slam. He was captain of that team, and uh, I think with a little bit of hindsight, they they won it with a few gear, uh, gears uh, to spare, and that's a sign of a great team. You know that they find a way to win, and um, it highlights, I suppose, um, the efficiency and the craft of of, of uh, Andy Farrell. He's created a. a genuinely uh, impressive environment it um, the, the last two weeks because we've chatted obviously a fair bit about Sexton getting the record and surpassing you in it like it's been an amazing two weeks I think it's been funny sort of watching different people's reaction I saw Shane Horgan uh, during the week saying that you'd be spitting about it but like it's been amazing two weeks to remind people that you scored a stupid amount of points in the Six Nations what sort of um, feelings has it brought up for you over the last couple of weeks has it been like a time for reflection or yeah how have you felt about the whole thing uh, I haven't really. Um, I, I struggle with a, a lot of people's mentalities about looking back. You know, that's what I did as a player. I'm ten years coaching now. You know, so it seems like a different lifetime, mm-hmm. and that's not an easy answer. You know, I'm. I didn't hear Shane Horgan's comments. That, that you know, I mean, maybe. Um, he, 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 by the way, I, I don't want to misrepresent him. It could have been. I didn't. I read them and I didn't see them, and it could have been that he they were in jest as well. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But Shaggy's a good guy. There's no doubt about that. You know, I play with him, and he would play with Johnny as well. So he'd have uh, be a, be a good judge in both characters. That's that that's for sure. When when I was playing, uh, that was my effort. That was it posted. You know, um, and and that's something you can't change. I was, I am to this day extremely proud of that. There's no getting away from that. There's two Irish people at the minute that are top of the Six Nations points, uh, whenever that became such a big story, I'm not too sure. It wasn't a big story in my day. I had no idea what I finished with. There was never any talk about it. Uh, nowadays, there's obviously we're in the social media age where everything is is uh, relevant of a great story. Yet, I mean, the bigger story here is that uh, another competitor is coming along or a 30-year-old uh, Owen Farrell is waiting in the wings to just... Mm. come along and set an even better record that's how sport works that's the ruthlessness of it and that's why I think when you're that competitor you enjoy it for me uh, you mean I posted my whatever my figures are uh, as a player wonderful memories as a player but I made a kind of a conviction to myself that stop talking about yourself as a player what you did in the past it's now 
Uh, for example, James Sexton's time, Gary Ringwell's time, Caelan Doris's time, Dan Sheehan's time, all these players um, that need to enjoy what we got in the green jersey or red jersey. And um, now I'm coaching and now we're trying to get the best out of people because you understand, I think, um, what good coaches can give to, to important groups. Does it make you nostalgic for the for the celebrations, Ronan? Because even thinking back to oh nine, because I don't know if you've seen the clip of Gary Ringrose's house. I think he, he wasn't quite keen on the fourth day of drinking, and the lads all uh, one by one come out of a minibus and uh, pile into his parents' house. Uh, a lot of them, let's say the full squad. Peter O'Mahony was there as well. Um, I don't know what time of the day or night it was, but it was certainly during the day. But like it, it was clearly you were just thinking that let the lads at it. They're celebrating. They're enjoying themselves. But did did it make you think of the the celebrations back in oh nine? Yeah, exactly, and that's uh, you know what I mean. That's probably so important to people in, in are that they do celebrate it and they do enjoy the time because some people are very quick to move on. If it, if it's worthwhile, you shouldn't be able to move on that quickly. You know, I can remember. Um, I mean, the first two days are probably everyone's in a rush to to enjoy the celebrations. Day three and four is when you can sit down and relax and probably get into the finer detail of of what happened in the game with your teammates and how much it means to you and how much you care for them. And, and I think that's still very important nowadays because it's it's obviously very difficult to do that in public. And uh, it was very nice of the Ringrose parents to, to put on um, a, a very uh, a very good uh, venue for them, to for their son and, and teammates to celebrate. I'd say they had no choice. I'd say the father was looking at it going, oh, Jesus, what are we going to do? I don't know. They didn't seem to be protesting too much in the clips I saw. I was saying earlier on, there was some outlet at the gate who I'd say was just going, what is happening here? The buses, the buses pulled up and all these like... Uh, yeah, but you can see from that, it's very, you know what I mean? That's why you know, people ask, oh, is it difficult to connect with Leinster and Munster players when you play for Ireland? And when there's a clip that just shows how easy it is and how important it is that they spend time and they appreciate each other's company and it's the environment Farrell has created that, I mean, it's great. I don't know. If it was the fourth day, that's Tuesday of this week, is it? I think it must have been. Could have been, yeah, or even, ooh, could have been Wednesday. Could have been Wednesday, yeah, possibly. Ash. Okay, great, because usually we're, we're very good at our, adding on arms and legs to stories, but if it was genu- genuinely the fourth day, there's still a lot of, um, a lot of men standing in good shape. Fair play. It's not easy. No. Um, one man who took a little bit of time out on the, quite a bit Tuesday actually. He was on the Good Bad and the Rugby podcast. I don't know if you saw it um, with Johnny Sexton, and he was chatting about coming off the pitch. He obviously came off a bit early with the groin injury, and we'll see how all that plays out. Obviously, over the next few weeks and maybe months even. But uh, it struck me his words about you. I don't know if you've seen it, but um, really lovely words about you and how you would come into his head as he came off the pitch and obviously the whole stadium stood up to give him a round of applause. They understood the moment um, and he had, at that moment in his head, you in his mind thinking that he was, you know, you never got that um, moment in Ireland jersey, which we've spoken about before, I know. But it, it, uh, his thoughts for you at that moment I thought were really lovely. Yeah, he's a good guy. You know, I think he's misunderstood still by a lot of people, you know, but I spent two years in racing when he was uh, very, very different to who he is now. And that would have been a brilliant learning experience from him. Uh, but it's off the pitch. You you kind of, I suppose, get to get to know the guy off the pitch. He's, he's um, very interesting and very, uh, very funny, actually, but very deep person. Uh, I didn't see any of that. Uh, but yeah, Johnny and I have obviously seen everything together, you know, so it's, it's, uh, 
doesn't surprise me. He's a man of uh, integrity. So, uh, but you know what I mean there's I didn't get it because I didn't deserve it. You know that's that's the bottom line. If you if you finish like I did and perform like I did in my game against Scotland, then there's uh, ample evidence to say that this guy shouldn't get another go. And that's that's what happens in top flight sport. I didn't get another go. I mean, could I have kicked on for another season or two after the way I played probably Munster against uh, Claremont in the semi-final? Potentially, but it just didn't enter my head. I wasn't, I suppose, trying to eke out any more other points or or individual records, anything like that. It was always what's best for the team, what's best for the team. I felt in the spur of the moment in that game against uh, Claremont in Montpellier, the semi-final, that, uh, you know I mean, my race has ran. I've given it everything. I've had the best time in this jersey and another jersey so get out when um when you when you feel it's time and I've always been a massive fan of trusting my instincts still to this day uh, when you're coaching and when you want when you need split to second decisions to implement um something uh there that's always my my go to trusting my instincts so that was my feeling in that day and uh, I don't think I would change anything uh, with hindsight yeah, which isn't to say that the fans wouldn't have wanted to have done for you what they did for Sexton, of course. Yeah, of course. And Irish people are brilliant fans. And I'm, you mean, people will kind of say, oh, geez, there's enough about Johnny now and poor. That isn't the way at all I feel. I feel very, very grateful. And I need to reiterate that. It was, um, you mean, whatever. They're talking about me as a legend, as a player. Johnny is a legend, as a player. Yeah, I, I, I think... I'm entitled to say that, uh, and that sounds quite arrogant potentially, but I don't mean it like that. I've uh, really, really enjoyed those days as playing, but it's so closed in my in my book. You know, my mind now is is driven to performing as a coach, and with a coach, I think you see uh, things very, very differently because when you're that player, you have to be incredibly selfish. But I think. Uh, I think when you're when you're the coach, you just got to see bigger picture on what's best for the team. Yeah, I uh, I can't help but feeling there's like it's a little bit of a shame almost in some way or another that you don't because you know you do hear players at times obviously during the playing career saying I can't think about that now that'll be for when I retire but you obviously went transition transitioned so quickly into coaching and you almost feel it sounds like that that would detract a little bit from what you're doing with the day job to be luxuriating too much in that which to me feels given the career you had. Um, Feels like a shame almost. No, not at all. The opposite, I think. Adrian, I think I realise what I've done. But for other people to probably uh, reflect upon, I'm my driver is getting the best out of myself. I think I did that. Uh, now it's to get the best out of a team. It's 10 years ago. Everything goes on. Stop talking about the past. Get on with what you're doing. On, funny when you say that, Ron, on that, like... Do you do you rest uncomfortably with the the legends tag? Like any anytime someone calls Roy Keane a legend in person, he you can see his face almost squirm and, and get uncomfortable. I remember interviewing a guy once called uh, Gene Cernan. He was the last man to walk on the moon. He was an astronaut in the Apollo program, and he, I remember him saying to me, "People look at me differently to how I look at myself." And that, I found that was something with legends in sport as well is, is something similar that all of us and, and rugby fans and sports fans generally will look at you much differently than. Than you think about yourself, like that legends tag. Is that a tough thing for you to almost listen to? No, because I don't. I don't live in Ireland, you know. And it's very warming and welcoming when you come back through Dublin Airport or you walk the streets of Dublin. You kind of 
people look at you and they're kind of have a double take and is that him and then why Raj and you're like whoa I forgot <laughs> this because I don't there's none of that in my daily life over here you got to understand that or it hasn't been for 10 years so uh, I think Irish people are known for their warmth and then you go back in dip in whenever it is a few times a year and, and you can feel that and that's very important too because uh, you know, Jeff says to me well it would be worse if they thought you were a bollocks <laughs> Fair point. <laughs> I'm sure there's plenty of people. I'm sure the Leinster fans, particularly at times, Ronan definitely, definitely felt that. Yeah, uh, yeah but, but even 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 in the build-up to last year's final, it was it never crossed the 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 line of lack of respect, and I think that's yeah. very very important. You know, there was never um, there was never maybe I didn't hear it, but I never got the impression that there was a bad feeling. I think there was a begrudging respect for potentially what I was doing with La Rochelle, but there was never um, that malicious intent to maybe uh, have a go at me. Yeah, no, I'd say, I'd say it was always that, even including in your in your uh, in your playing days. Just one last one on Sexton. What he obviously nearing the end, and he, maybe the groin injury that he limped off with that that may keep him out now for the next little while is the clearest indicator or clearest answer to this question. But like he does seem to be like a fine wine in that he is certainly not getting any worse as he gets older. Um, obviously, we're talking about, and all indications are that he hangs up the boots after the World Cup. Is there any case for a close confidant getting on the phone to him and saying, "Listen"? You know, he he looks like he could play on. Yeah, but I suppose playing it, it all depends what he wants to play on for and what his why is. Mm. That's the starting point for me. Like once you establish what your why is, and you can make a plan together. But you know, what I mean, I, I think it'll either go one or two ways the next six months, and then he has a decision to make. If it's the uh, ending that everyone wants, then I don't think he has any decision. Why would he play on? If it isn't, then he maybe has a decision. But uh, he's in a position of strength. He's enjoying his rugby. He's a huge asset to the Irish and the Leinster team. Um, but um, you mean you gotta remember that it, at that level it takes its toll, and there will be a day when, or a month when, um, he'll have to decide whether his body can do it. Mm, yeah, and maybe they they. Uh win the World Cup hopefully and then that decision just becomes really clear well that's exactly what I said you know what I mean you're, yeah. you're, you're, there's satisfaction internal satisfaction not external satisfaction internal satisfaction for the rest of his life he doesn't he does what he wants to do on his terms and that's that's the beauty of the, of the sport we play you must be delighted for Scott Robertson yeah I am I'm delighted because he's a great guy he's someone that had a huge impact on me and continued to have. Just love his personality, love what he represents, love the way he sees the world, love the way he sees rugby. And uh, great news because I was getting a little bit worried with uh, what I was hearing. And uh, I just think, um, you know, I mean, it's great. I think once he got the chance to present his vision uh, in front of the board, there was only ever going to be one winner because he can... Um, transform a room and I'd say he can transform a team and um, I suppose it's good for all the other international coaches that he isn't taken over before a World Cup What what, what were you hearing that was getting you worried? Uh, just that uh, they were liking the combination of Jamie Joseph and Tony Brown uh, working wonders with Japan and obviously the cattle he'd be working with, with 
New Zealand would be better. So that was always something that was going to be a big threat. But uh, I think uh, now we back to Razor and his his team, whoever that will be, because there's a lot of good coaches and he has a lot of good connections. And um, so it'll be really interesting to see the team he puts together. When you mentioned good management combos, it was funny. I don't know if you saw, but Brian O'Driscoll was on with us on, uh, on Off the Ball this week, and he was, uh, he was talking about yourself and Paul O'Connell and, and your respective, I guess, coaching slash managerial styles. And, and he was uh, saying everyone will be like Roger and Paulie together. And this is down the line in terms of a future hypothetical Irish coaching ticket. Uh, nah, I don't see it. Both are very strong in their own right. Not that I necessarily know their styles or their ways, but something tells me that I'm not entirely sure this is a combination that we will see. Like it was an interesting thought. He was essentially saying that you're, as much as everyone would love that dream ticket down the line, Ronan, that, that you're both strong enough in your own right now to, to kind of stand on your own two feet. Uh, no, no. I think uh, it has um, nothing to do with that from my point of view. It depends on um, putting two good brains together, I think, can be very, very powerful. So, uh, Titles don't interest me. It's working relationships. It's working with people that you can trust. That is very important. Um, so, I mean, there's more than ample room in the Irish game or any international game for, for two, four, six people, depending on how you want to build a management team. So, uh, there's different ways of looking at it, obviously. Uh, but in terms of working with Paul, because he's strong and I'm strong, uh, then it becomes doubly strong. So you're telling us there's a chance? <laughs> there's always a chance because um, you want to work with the best people. You want to challenge yourself with the best people. You want to get the best out of the best people. You want to uh, enjoy what you're doing. Mm. Paul O'Connell is a, is a, a great friend and, um, and he knows a thing or two about rugby. So why wouldn't you work with Paul O'Connell? Uh, brilliant. Thanks, Millie, for uh, chatting to us over the last 20 minutes. It was interesting stuff, as always, a million uh, lines we didn't get to, but uh, we'll chat to you now. Good luck tomorrow. See you, guys. Thank you. Thanks. Cheers. Cheers, Thanks a lot. And a lot of love coming in um, on the comments as well. Juve uh, Power saying, I think Sexton's reference to Raj on the um, GBR pod was a touch of class and plenty more as well. Uh, besides, and we'll get to those comments in a little bit. Kathleen is back with us and we're going to talk uh, football now. Delighted to say Shaban Ahern, football writer, is on the line. Morning, Shaban. Good morning, Troops. How are we? You well? We're great and we're a little bit behind time, so apologies on that. But um, oh, we've loads to get to. Um, mm. uh, what a weekend. We might start with tonight's game, the Merseyside Derby, and the chat around that they could outstrip the 27,000 that turned up for the Anfield leg last year uh, with maybe even 30,000 tonight. There'll be no need Fahey, obviously. Um, will be a little bit of other Irish interest, obviously, on the other side. But in terms mm-hmm. of a result, do you expect it to be the same as it was at Anfield or how do you expect it to pan out? Do you know what? Everton have been Everton have been decent this season. Now, the last few weeks things have started to dip ever so slightly. But what I'm most looking forward to is one of you know that this being the game, the first game to kick off women's football weekend to see how this this will go second time round because it was such a you know at Anfield the way it happened the first time round was a bit of a shock. So Everton, I think, will be cooking with gas this time round and as the season's gone on they've just progressed they've become more of a a gelled one team Um, but like I say over the last couple of weeks I would say it started to dip off slightly so be interested to see how that one goes but uh, big night at Goodison Park a Friday night there it's uh, it's not a bad way to kick off women's football weekend 
Yeah, and I saw the uh, Liverpool manager like he a little bit of reverse psychology going on. He said that uh, they were um, that his own team obviously were uh, frozen. They looked scared. The occasion got the better of us, and he was saying all that sort of in the context that. I think I think Everton, you know, all their fans at home. I, this could easily, this could be them this weekend. Listen, they're a solid team. They are solid. But Brian Sorensen's a good manager, you know. He's and the way Everton are this season to what they were last season is night and day. You know, even the way you can see the communi- communication, sorry, on the pitch is night and day to last season. I I heard from a credible source that last season that dressing room was an awful place to be uh, and it's very, very different this time round. So credit to the job that Brian Sorison's done. It's not an easy place to go um, and he's got them playing better but Liverpool quietly going about their business as well, picking up their points here and there. Matt Beard's experienced in this league um, but going away to Goodison Park will be a right test for Liverpool. Shaban, do you think Everton might suffer a little bit because obviously they've taken in a lot of young players. They have a couple of players on loan who are going to go back to bigger clubs afterwards. Like, are they building enough at this stage that they're going to be able to retain those players and keep them or else attract similar sort of levels of players back into the club? That's a good question. I mean, I think so. I, th- I think because of the job that's been done this season, you can view Everton through a different lens as you did last season. I, I was set actually coming into this season, I said I wouldn't be surprised if Everton were relegated because of the the way that they did play and the atmosphere there last year. Um, but you're right, the the young players that they've got, I mean, they've got the most expensive European player in history in Hannah Benison, who is just wonderful to watch. You know, young Jess Park there as well. Like Luna says, she's going to go back to Manchester City. Um, so many young, talented players, the young twins as well. Um, I've enjoyed watching them. I have to say, I think that they're, they're a promising bunch. Can he hold on to them? I think if they can just maintain mid table, that's good. You know, that, that will be, that will be a decent season from, for, for Everton based on what they did last season. North London Derby tomorrow afternoon, and oh. uh, exactly the the I, I'm sort of tempted to ask you the same question in terms of the expected result out of it, but we'll hold on that for a second. Good performance, um, uh, whatever, but the result from Arsenal during the week in Munich um, that might be enough for them now. It might give them enough belief, and it, Emma Byrne was saying during the week that um, they can win the Champions Le- uh, the Champions League, and it should nearly be the priority for them. I mean, do you know what? See, Emma Byrne, I love that. She, I mean, she was part of that team. She's been around for so much time. She's got so much experience. She knows this Arsenal team so well. You know, now living over here and, and turning on the commentaries, Emma Byrne is it's such a part of the WSL once again. I look at this Arsenal team now and I said, yes, at the start of the season, Arsenal can win the Champions League. I didn't, with Beth Mead and Viviana Miedema, and their ACL injuries and what they've gone through, I think they've missed. They're just not the same. They are not the same. You can't you can't blame them for that. You've got to give them that injury grace. Um, but I watched the the Bayern game the other night and I was so frustrated by it. You know, I was just like, oh come on. You know, in front of goal, I feel that Arsenal had been so wasteful in that game, and it was a good performance. Um, you know, I think the return leg at the Emirates on Wednesday, I'll be going to. I think. Arsenal can Arsenal can comfortably beat Bayern Munich. Bayern Munich are a solid are, are a solid squad, and the Germans, as we know, are just so efficient. Um, but I look at that Arsenal side and I go, they, they should be able to get the job done. But there's something they're lacking. We know in front of goal, Stina Black Stenis has struggled. She's had a bit of form recently, 
Um, they've brought in Jodie Taylor. Obviously, Jodie can't play in the Champions League. Um, but I just think in front of goal, I don't know if we could see Caitlin Ford maybe moving up there a little bit more, take the striker position, because that was what that was what was just missing, you know, on on Wednesday night was a goal from Caitlin Ford. I thought she had it in her. Ten minutes to go, I was going, Caitlin will score, this will happen. And they couldn't find the back of the net. So they've got a job to do on Wednesday, but I think Arsenal have enough to get over the line. But you look at the other teams that then they've to face. Mm. And without Viviana Miedema and Beth Major key goal scorers, I think Arsenal could struggle. Do, do the WSL teams play with a little bit of fear in the Champions League in, in recent years, do you think, Shaban? It's a lot of pressure, mm-hmm. of course, and it's tough to, as we say, challenge yeah. on a couple of fronts. But sometimes you feel like if they just let themselves off the leash a little bit. Mm, yeah, that's a good point. I mean, I still remember the, the Chelsea-Barcelona whooping that happened just a couple of years ago, and I didn't see that coming. I mean, you don't go up against Barcelona expecting to win anything, and you know that they're... They're the best team in the world, you know, one of the best teams. But I, I expected more from Chelsea in that day. But I guess that's the thing. They're 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 missing these huge occasions. You know, they haven't been to a final in quite some time. That actually, um, perhaps the occasion got the better of them on that day as well. And I think we were all surprised to see Chelsea be beaten four 0 by Barcelona. I know I was shocked that day, especially inside the first half. It was, it was a bonkers result. I look at Arsenal and I see, you know, the the experience in that squad and then the the youngsters coming through as well. And I don't know if that's the squad that can win the Champions League. You know, look at Emma Hayes' squad now. And I think we all know here, I, I, I follow Arsenal. I love Emma Hayes. I love Chelsea and what they do in women's football. But I want it so badly for Arsenal, you know, I, again. But I just look at the the momentum, the experience, how Chelsea are building and the players that they're recruiting. I go, that's a Champions League winning squad. It could be their year. It was funny watching Emmett Hayes in the Champions League during the week. I don't think I've ever seen her that stressed on a touchline. And obviously they had a <laughs> massive result against Leon. It was good for them, especially when you look at like the history they've had in the Champions League. One final question to you about Chelsea before we let you go, Shaban. Millie Bright, she was going for a scan yesterday. Has there been any update on that? Because that could be a massive injury for Chelsea for the run-in. I know. I mean, it could be a case of tired legs at this moment in time. I've been texting around my my people and nobody's responding to me this morning about Millie Bright. There's been nothing put up on social media, nothing up through Chelsea as yet. So I am a bit concerned about that. Millie Bright on her Insta story looks happy enough. Looks like she's with one of our our young family members and she looks in good spirits uh, at the moment. So fingers crossed it was just a knock and it was a case of um, tired legs. They're playing a lot of football just now. They've got Manchester City at the weekend. If, If Millie Bright... Is has sustained an injury that would be a big loss for Chelsea, but I think for now it looks okay. I don't want to jinx that, but it looks okay. I was I needed to ask you about Saint West and whether he was going to be uh, turning up for the um, North London Derby this weekend, but you know. By the, can I just say, my in in our house, right in in our in our group. I am the biggest Kim Kardashian fan. Think of me what you want. I don't care. I will go there for my escapism no weekend, weekend. Honestly, and when Kate, Katie sent me a, pit, a, a message saying, Shaban, you'll never believe who's at the Emirates tonight. And I went, oh, and I went to sleep. I didn't reply. And then I woke up and I'd seen all the screenshots of St. West wearing the McCabe top. And I, and I literally nearly died. And, and Katie doesn't watch the Kardashians. I think she only hears about the Kardashians through having to listen to me talking about it. So nobody was more excited about that than I was. But, um, I've, I've DM'd Kim for a play date and see if she wants to meet up. <laughs> Funnily enough, she's not gone back to me. <laughs> thanks, thanks, Lily Chabad. Enjoy the football over the weekend. Have a good one. Thanks, guys. Take Thanks care. Thanks a lot. Shabana Hearn on the line there, football writer. The, the um, North London Derby, it feels like, Catherine, if we were having this conversation a couple of weeks ago, that it would have been money in the bank for Arsenal, but just with events off the pitch 
and a little bit more solidity about Spurs, is it slightly in question? No. I no. Well, I think Arsenal should still wipe the floor with them, considering how Spurs are playing at the moment. They might get that. It's not even new manager bounce, but just that bounce after Rianne Skinner leaving and Vicky Jepsen taking over. Vicky Jepsen is a really, really good manager. You know, former England assistant manager has worked under some of the best managers in England at the moment. So she and she knows the squad really well. Cause she's worked with them for a long time. Spurs are such an interesting case because they're actually so similar to the men's team in terms of how they play on the pitch. You expect so much more from them because they do have the talent there and they do spend the money. It's just they can't click in the same way. And with Arsenal, it's interesting. I mean, yes, there was the Miedema Mead injuries, which people have talked about so much, but also there's enough talent in that squad that they should be doing better in the league than they currently are. And I saw a few people suggesting this week that maybe they should just focus on the Champions League and not care about their league position at all, which I think for a team like Arsenal, it just seems weird to me that you wouldn't focus on the two and you wouldn't be able to handle the two, especially with teams like Chelsea there who, you know, have a lot of competitions they're still in the FA Cup they have Champions League and they also have the league and tired legs as Shaban was saying they're possibly losing Millie Bright you know there is an opportunity there to sneak up a little bit so it'll be an interesting one I love the grit that has come into the North London Derby in mm. recent years uh, partly brought on by Katie McCabe of course mm. she likes her battles with Ashley Neville and other players in the, the Spurs referee. squad yeah. we also pointed out the fact that last week was it last week on the show was it the day Stewie was in Stewie Byrne was in. Katie McCabe obviously came up because Katie McCabe was in this new colouring book of, of mm. Stewie's. Um, and I don't know why Kim Kardashian came up, but this is before State West was pictured at the Arsenal game with the McCabe jersey. And I said, who needs Kim Kardashian when you have Katie McCabe? Days later, days later, I mean, she's What pictured. you're saying is Kim Kardashian's uh, OTBM fan. fan of the show. I, I think that uh, spurred her to go out and go, yeah. Okay, that guy's just... That's, that's possible. Yeah, yeah, I didn't say this to you because I was watching that game and it like shot to the crowd and I was like, is that Kim Kardashian? And then like a couple of hours later I saw the photograph of her son wearing the McCabe jersey and I was like, they must have been listening to Shane on what the show. What are the chances? <laughs> what are the chances? The universe is funny sometimes. There you go. Um, United obviously off the top now and uh, they're up against West Ham. It's at Old Trafford tomorrow. And the sense that like they would be got, they'd gotten so many plaudits like over the previous months they'd risen to the top maybe slightly ahead of expectations like is it important that they sort of refocus on that that you know despite the Chelsea loss that actually we're still we we need to hang on here for Champions League football but we're still ahead of the curve and that's kind of what's important Uh, I don't know I think United fans are particularly disappointed with how they've fallen off I mean like they used to get fairly well beaten by Chelsea and the 1-0 result was probably only the fact that Chelsea had the class of a player like Sam Kerr. But there's so much riding on this season for United in the sense that, you know, Alessia Russo was already linked to it, say, Arsenal during the January transfer window. Her contract is up this summer. Mm. There's a lot of interest in her from abroad. If they lose a player like her, and Ella Toon possibly might go as well at some stage because those two link up so well. And I don't know who is out there for them to replace Alessio Russo with, especially if they don't make Champions League qualification. So there's been discontent in the United camp with Skinner and the way he's set out the team and the fact that they aren't doing 
as well at the moment and they're kind of trailing off which is what they have done in previous seasons and I think a lot of people thought that wasn't going to happen this season especially say that 3-2 result they had against Arsenal they showed the sort of fight that United haven't done in previous years you know you would have expected Arsenal to finish them off at that stage so I think for United it's really important for them if they don't finish top that they finish second and I think United fans will expect that from this team. Um, I mean, they have three of the best players in England in Mary Earps, Elatoun, and Alessia Russo, who are all flying high after the Euros, and like players like Onobagie as well. There's so much talent in that United squad, and a lot of the players go under the radar. Um, if you ever listen to Emma Byrne on Koi Gig, she is particularly fond of Onobagie and talks about how good she is. So, yeah, I think. They need a big result for this season. Yeah, and maybe Erps is part of the uh, narrative this weekend that you know United uh, don't concede many. They scored, lo- they score loads, and West Ham are leaky, and so it's pre-decided mm. that United are going to win, the- get back on track. Emma Carroll is just reminding me here that uh, in her team of the week, Bajé is in practically every week. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I think. I think for a lot, of, it's interesting this year because it's probably the first time there's four teams properly battling it out. I, of all the results at the weekend, I'm very interested to see how City-Chelsea goes because City have kind of been not necessarily dark horses but had a slow start to the season of just being like quietly building away and I mean Khadija Shaw top scorer in the league an absolutely incredible player Chelsea have never had the best of luck in the academy stadium the first time they won was November 2021 and that's the only time they've ever won there so yeah it's going to be a big battle for them especially with it being in the middle of the Champions League and whatever about the game in Lyon only being a 1-0 win it was such an intense battle and players like Aaron Cuthbert who hadn't played since the Conte Cup final came on and put in an absolute shift so City don't have those troubles it's going to be going to be an interesting one between the two uh, Villa obviously one of those teams that are kind of pushing for the top as well you mentioned before we came on air about the brilliant headlines around uh, D- uh, Daly and Dally. Yeah. Uh, but you've been very impressed by Rachel Daly this season very impressed. I think she's been one of the signings of the season. And like the Carla Ward is doing an incredible job there and building a really, really interesting squad. But Rachel Daly has definitely been a brilliant addition. There was a lot of consternation last year during the Euros because Serena Wiegmann likes to play Daly in a defensive position and she's not a defender like anyone who's watched her in the NWSL where again, she was scoring, she was a striker, she was incredible for Houston Dash kind of was watching the games and I know when England have so many good defensive players already like there was a lot of talk about why Alex Greenwood didn't get more minutes instead she seemed to prefer Rachel Daly I don't know what it is but she's come in this season and I think she's reminded people in England that she is an incredible striker I mean she's up with Kadisha Shaw for player of the season in terms of goals um, and that midfield has just been supplying her so well uh, and I love all the kind of daily dally daily and dallying around headlines that have come out of it 
Yeah, it's been good and it'll be a uh, uh, brilliant weekend, no doubt about that. And I'm sure we'll chat about it next week. Kathleen, thanks, William, for the minute. It's 8.28 and uh, we've loads still to come. Alan Quinnell is going to be with us in a few minutes' time uh, to look ahead to the rugby this weekend, um, the start of the Women's Six Nations and the URC as well. And a little chat about the under-20s with Kevin Kilban, a chat we had with him yesterday, looking ahead particularly to the Ireland-France game on uh, Monday night. We're going to have a Friday fire pit as well that uh, there seems to be a lot of love for us. A lot of love. People, people are, are here for it, Jane. People are here for it, yeah. Especially weeks where there is also a crappy quiz, then the uh, the fire pit doesn't seem to get as much hate maybe in the in the comments. I mean, yeah. you got you got People we, don't want one at the expense of the other. Well, the thing, like we haven't had around the world, with, you know, in, in a few weeks. So we're going to bring that back. Hopefully, at some stage soon. I'm just going to say it on air and have a production meeting with myself and bring it back. <laughs> so some of these slots take a bit of time. Adrian, they do. You know? No, some of them are no, going to be slow burners. They can be right. slow burners. Yeah. Fire pit pun there and unintended I'm sure unintended but uh, yeah um, bit of chat about Harry Kane and the gold record last night uh, and the fact that he's got the record but no medals um, mm. all those goals and no trophies says Schreider and then somebody else follows up and he scored so many goals that mean nothing really has he ever scored a go- big goal that meant something he's very unclutch which is not an expression I've heard before maybe that's why uh, one nothing and doesn't play well in big games Annoys people. Uh, we, we were chatting the same commenter. We were chatting earlier on about the Johnny Sexton moment and the LeBron James moment mm. and how sports should stop. No, um, it shouldn't though. John Terry, uh, no what? It shouldn't. Sports shouldn't, shouldn't stop. I thought you said something totally different there. John Terry coming off to a guard of honour in the twenty-sixth minute in his last game was very cringe. That was the most pathetic sporting thing I've ever seen in my life. That was pathetic. It's always going to be John Terry. Even if he fair. had no, if he had number seventy two on his back and he, they could come <laughs> off the seventy second minute, I still done. think it was pathetic. They would have done. But the twenty sixth minute is just a joke. Farcical. Ah, oh, I feel sick now. <laughs> I feel sick for something that happened ten years ago. No, but you reminded me of it. Uh, it's exactly half past eight. You're watching RPM this morning. We're delighted to have you with us and we hope you are very well wherever it is you're at on this uh, Friday morning. We're here with Gillette Labs. Get the ultimate shave or your money back. Neon Night Edition is available now. Uh, during this break, you're going to hear Fiona Hayes. She was on the Six Nations show uh, in the last 24 hours talking about her playing days, beating Wales uh, ahead of Ireland's opener course against them this weekend. The Six Nations shows with Vodafone, men's sponsor of the Irish rugby team. We all belong to the team of us. Quinny, next. OTB AM The Sports Breakfast Show from Off the Ball Gone half past eight, you're watching OTB AM Around the World is very good, says Danny Mack on uh, YouTube ah, yeah. My mum has a YouTube burner account, obviously Very early this morning uh, It's myself and Shane, Alan Quinlan has joined us in studio Morning Quinny Morning lads, how are you? We're great, and we've um, a bucket full of stuff to chat about um, First of all, we might uh, talk about the Women's Six Nations, obviously, starting this weekend. I met your presenting colleague outside the Aviva on Saturday after the game, and she was obviously buzzing after having got the uh, Grand Slam done. And I was watching her press conference, Neve Briggs, during the week, obviously, in the lead into this game. Uh, spoke really positively about the spirit, about the players, uh, about where they're at, about vibing off the fact that they were in the same environment as the Grand Slam team and some of the players quizzing Johnny Sexton about you know his technique and various bits and pieces like um, I was really buying her positivity I must say Yeah I think she's um, she's very excited about it I think working with with players now who are who are not all of them are fully contracted but they're in a professional setup now if you like it wasn't that long ago we were you know talking about the setup, the facilities—not not the facilities, but just the whole environment and and support networks—that um, was obviously pretty high profile. The training, the skills, uh, matches we've seen the last couple of years, not qualifying for the World Cup, um, watching the ladies then play, and 
you know, a lot of talk about skills development and where they're at, um, which is understandable. And I think um, that was something that kind of came out in a lot of those, those disappointments in the last couple of years. You know, upskilling the players, and they've now been put into an environment, albeit again, you can still talk about it and um, the the level of of. Uh, the depth of those contracts and the amount of money that's been paid. But it's a very, very good starting point. And you have to give the IRFU credit for that. Um, They've taken... They took on board what was in the report and they're starting to make changes around the women's game, which is very positive. Um, There's still a a long road. Um, I think Greg McWilliams has openly spoken about... um, You know, I worked for the Women's Six Nations last year and I remember preparing for the Welsh game the first game in the RDS of the tournament and it was all about patience and it'll take time mm. it's still the case um, there's a lot of new players are starting tomorrow against Wales there's only one of the backs Nicole Cronin who played in that game against right. Wales last year so there's there's six new backs in there now three or four of them have made their debuts in Japan on the tour in the summer um, and that was a really important tour for them mm-hmm. um, as regards togetherness getting a feel for what it's like to go on tour the preparation all that kind of stuff time for video analysis you know and, and really kind of building as a unit and feeling you know when you go away and jump on the plane it's it's great you're on a I always love those summer tours um, by the way I hope they don't get rid of them there's talks that there will be a global calendar in the men's game now and that maybe we won't see those tours anymore um, I love them as a player and obviously working on them now. So for the girls to go away and, and kind of have that bond and, and enjoy uh, each other's company and, and play those Bad matches. Tracks, the, uh, yeah, it does. It makes them feel part of something that's moving in the right direction. I think that's my whole point here. So there's eight changes in this team in, uh, from last year. So half the team, it's, it's new. Um, there's a lot of young, exciting girls who are in the team. So... Wales are a little bit more progressed because it's their second year with professionals. And they have 15 players playing in the English Premier 15s. Like well, all 23 tomorrow. Sorry, 23 in the, every the whole 23 squad. Are in, in, in the Premiership, yeah. you know. So that, that gives you an added advantage. And it's something that we've spoken about in the women's game about getting the level of the All-Ireland League and getting more teams competitive. Yeah. That is one of the so, challenges. So by design, they're a little bit they're, they're obviously year three into their own professional thing and so by design that coupled with the Premier 15s they're a little bit further down the track but that that's it's almost that race for third still isn't it like we're still expecting France yes, and England Fra- France and England are the two powerhouses here and, and um, again it's it's a tough start for Ireland being away and yeah. going back to your original question with Neve, she is very excited about it because mm-hmm. and I'm sure the other coaches are as well um, being able to see the development and the the skills, uh, the skill set, the enthusiasm, uh, the exuberance of some of these young players that are coming in, which is is um, is brilliant for them. So um, it's going to be difficult because you just, as you say, twenty three for Wales are more more advanced, and um, and that is probably the hard part here. It's hard to kind of it's 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 hard to kind of go and say well. They should be beating Wales, they should be beating Scotland, they should be beating Italy because you're not really sure where the other teams are at yet 
and you'll get a, an obvious barometer tomorrow. Mm. Um, yeah, well, there's a big gun. Wales were very big and physical last year, and that's yeah. one kind of area. Now, look, if you look at the Irish forwards, um, there's there's some brilliant players in there. Dorothy Wall is, is there, Maeve o- O'Leary, Brittany Hogan, Sam Monaghan, she was outstanding last year, uh, Nicola Friday, the captain, Neve Jones, the hooker, Sive uh, McGrath, is, um, she's yeah. only 18, so she's... Um, She's young and she's it's her first cap. Linda Daozhang, she's a brilliant player, great ball carrier. So the pack looks, uh, you know, that has something about it. Um, they have a fair bit of experience. Um, they're all playing at, at a high level. Um, a little bit unknown in the backs a little bit, but um, it should be exciting. And it would be stating the obvious to say if they were to get a result tomorrow against Wales, how good that would be for confidence going forward. They've got France home next in Cork, um, which is, you know, France and England are the ones to beat, obviously. Um, and the others then. So I think it is a kind of a race to try and get into that position of, of um, you know, beating Wales, beating Scotland. Both of those games are away. The it, Italian game is away. Mm. So it's... Is that, that's, that's dodgy then, the way the fixtures... It makes it harder, yeah. So England and you're probably France thinking at home then. You're going to lose to England and France with, with all due respect. Yeah. Probably even though we ha- you have them at home. And then the three that you kind of want a little bit of edge that are fairly evenly matched most yeah. years, those three are away. So it makes it a little bit different. But look, um, no matter what happens here, I think we'll see a team that's um, that's very well prepared, um, that'll be exciting to watch. And that, um, you know, look, they're going to take a little bit of time and, and I'm sure Greg and Neve and Dennis Fogarty and the other coaches will will say... Sometimes it's a bit unknown because um, it is a step up this level. It's the same in the men's. When you go up to international level, it's a step up. So hopefully they start well and um, get a bit of confidence and build confidence tomorrow. And uh, we wish them well. Yeah, Cardiff Arms Park, 2.15 tomorrow. We'll be keeping an eye. The under-20s we wanted to chat a little bit about as well because although it sort of wrapped up, obviously, last weekend, we haven't had a huge amount of time to pick through it. They really sort of... Look, at the TV exposure obviously helps with this stuff and the yeah. fact that they were winning helps with this stuff. But the fact that like a lot of the players look like they're they are absolutely ready to step onto the pitch for senior rugby including um, Prendergast at half a lot of them look like they could just step into URC yeah and a few have maybe been added to to, uh, Munster Leinster squads for Europe uh, which shows um, the captain has been brilliant Gus McCarthy as well um, the skill set um, producing another another hooker who can uh, like Dan Sheehan who can run up and down the wing and offload it's it's phenomenal he was he was brilliant um, where are they all going to kind of stay because they have Kelleher and Sheehan you think they're going to be around for a and long same time for some John of the back rows like the competitiveness there that's, that's the yeah, challenge look, now isn't great. it for a lot of these players that like yeah and it's one of the things that people were asking me Joe was asking me in the Virgin, Virgin Media last week we didn't have a lot of time Adrian to go through it uh, I know Bernard Jackman spoke about it this week whether it was on the podcast or on Against the Head um, where do these guys go now and last year's team where like a lot of last year's under 20s Grand Slam winning team have gone into the provinces and uh, we haven't seen a huge amount of them, probably more in Leinster, but obviously the the, the you know there's there's a number of there's a couple of Connacht guys in here that are incredibly mm. exciting. You know, you Gavin and, and John Devine, uh, the, the winger and the the, the, the first centre as well. Um, the the two Munster lads again, uh, Brian Gleeson, Ruan Quinn, they look like 
men, mm. not, not boys, really, don't they? It's funny, the, the, the line-up, I know they take on the, the senior team in, in Abbottstown very often in the kind of behind-closed-doors games. Like, is that, that being exposed to elite performance at that age? Well, it, when it's, it's controlled, when it's yeah. controlled, you know, it isn't like uh, back in the day when, when Shannon, when I was with Shannon and we'd go up to, um, we'd go up to Derry Knockan uh, in Young Monsters, uh, training ground which was not in Greenfields it was another mile or two out the road the lighting wasn't great and uh, you're doing full on scrums and mauls against uh, Peter Claw Gerard Claw Desi Claw Gerard's uh, Ray Ryan all these fellas and you're gone Jesus Christ <laughs> if I fall on the ground here tonight I'm gone there is no there's no linesman there's no sighting commission so that's, that's a bit different and uh, that was free for all and the more kind of rows and stuff the better training <laughs> yeah, went yeah. Both for both sides and that was when I was starting out in the IL this is a little bit different Shane it's yeah. controlled but it is your point is you know someone like Paddy McCarthy there that's a tight head has been outstanding as well you know the ball carrying he's Joe McCarthy's brother um, George Haddon he got a try the other night against England yeah. even the props coming off the bench George Morris and Fikna Barrett They've all added, um, you know, here, and they all look really, really strong and powerful. The biggest strength here, I think, is is or the biggest thing that's the most impressive for me is the physicality of the forwards. Um, I saw them in round one over in Wales. Dave and I were over doing the commentary, and we 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 were there very early. So when the day arrived, they walked out onto the field. Obviously, it was very quiet. I uh, was chatting to Richie Murphy and a few of the coaches and 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 some of the players. I remember Evan O'Connell as a little mm. small whippersnapper going around Paul's house when we were back in the day. And small whippersnapper da- Danny Sheehan as well, Frankie's nephew, he's Joey's son. So these guys, I just couldn't believe how big they were. That, how physical, that, that, that's the not size. the sort of thing that'll help them when they get to the senior ranks because uh, they'll be all apart big. Apart from yeah. else, the teams that the players that they're playing against now will have will all be big. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the skill set is really impressive. Um, Hugh Cooney, who's the outside centre and someone told me about him before I think it was um, John O'Sullivan writes for the Times uh, before the tournament just he watched a lot of these guys and people know their names now yeah. you know people have watched him in the last number of weeks he's a brilliant player you Cooney um, there's there's lots of these guys who will go on and make it and be very very good professionals and could play for Ireland they have the real potential uh, Conor O'Tiernig James McNabney you can name them all on that uh, playing for Ireland bit are we likely to see now there might be uh, an absolutely sensationalist aspect to this so feel free to uh, remove the air from that if you need to are we likely to see more Ben Healy's in the sense that like we're talking about obviously a very young profile of this Irish team that are there at the minute very young profile around the provinces in, in a lot of the positions you're talking about the opportunities might not be there for a lot of these players and they may seek to Scotland will be an well, obvious one. Um, the starting team the other night is about 10 again from Leinster. So I know Ben Healy is qualified for Scotland. Through, yeah, I know exactly they, what they you mean. Go yeah, and, could and they go somewhere in residency and, and all that kind of stuff? Yeah, there's about 10 of these guys. The starting team last week were from Scotland. There's two or three from Connacht, two from Munster. Uh, I'm trying to look at the rest of the names here. One from Ulster in the starting team. Yeah, that's the way it was uh, last week. So the vast majority of Leinster again, which is not a surprise. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a couple of Connacht lads on the bench as well from Sligo, Corinthians, Galwegians. So I have to mention them. I think the underage setup and systems in 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 Connacht is really really strong, and they've four or five guys here, are real good players who will make a big impact. 
you think those guys will kind of get into the Connacht group, I mean it respectfully, easier. Mm. The obvious one is the 10 or 12 or 15 Leinster fellas that are probably in this wider squad. Where do they go? Can Leo Cullen... Can they go into the academy? Is there enough room for them? How many went in last year? So there's a certain number of them. It's just a numbers game. Where do they all go? And that's the point I was making. So um, then some of them will have to make decisions if they're really good. Um, and I think like the hooker and captain, Gus McCarthy. So, again, I don't want to speak for the, the guy. Um, and he may fancy his chances of going into the setup. But with Sheehan and Kelleher... Young, young as well. Like You're just you know, kind of so. thinking, I want to play for Ireland. He wants to play for Ireland, Gus McCarthy. Does he need to go to another province? Does he need yeah. to go to the UK, um, France, whatever, and then he doesn't get selected for Ireland? Or does he go well, to another province? a career can just whittle away. We're t- we'll, we'll talk later on about Cuevin Kelleher uh, in the football, and a career can just... Well, there's another a number of other pl- players in Leinster who are good enough to play probably international rugby, and they're, they're staying with Leinster. Two obvious ones are Max Deeg and Scott Penny. Mm. So... You know what I mean? Um, it's down to the personal choices, um, you know, because you have, if you look at Max Deegan got capped a number of years ago and he was ahead of Doris, he was ahead of Jack Conan, and now, you know, he's an incredible player for Leo Cullen to have. Mm. Don't get me wrong, he's a brilliant player and could. There is a risk moving elsewhere as well. You know, that can and happen. They, they, will, they will also there's play. There's a lot like of really good under 20s there, and it's very exciting. I think, like and, and how they're managed now is really important, and what the yeah. decisions they make individually with their families, and there'll be agents sniffing around yeah. trying to sign some of them up as well. There'll probably be. Um, they'll play a lot of U- URC, of course, is the thing, um, which we'll mention before we wrap up. Uh, Leinster Stormers tonight, Connacht, Edinburgh, Munster, Glasgow, and Ulster Bulls, all of those uh, three games tomorrow. Um, with Munster, particularly, like obviously, people are looking ahead to the Heineken Champions Cup next weekend. They have the Sharks on Saturday. They got so close to a Heineken Cup semi final last year. How important is it, Quinny, now that this, from this game is bigger? That they, that they close this out strongly? Glasgow is, is bigger right. than next week, right. to be honest, because. They're not going to win the European Cup. Of course, they want to go to the Sharks in South Africa and and give it a go. And But the reward for if they were to beat the Sharks in South Africa is to lose away. So mm. you're kind of thinking, they won't think like that, of course. You just take, you try and take it one week and, uh, as they go. But tomorrow against Glasgow, for me, <clears throat> getting a minimum of four points uh, would put them to 40. You know, four or five points puts them to 51, 52 points. That's enough to secure them definitely a top eight, I think. Mm. Um, given the, the the other chasing pack of the Bulls, the Sharks, Connacht, Benetton, Cardiff, I'd say to be in the top eight because they have to go to South Africa for the two. They play Stormers and Sharks, which is going to be incredibly difficult anyway. So if they take their eye off the ball tomorrow, it's a problem. Um, and we saw from the last game they played in Cork, they won 49-42 against the Scarlets. Mm. The attack was brilliant, but the defence was poor. Um, so they need to sort that out because Glasgow will have their internationals back tomorrow not all of them but they'll have some of them, some of them yeah. and it'll be dangerous but for Connacht it's the interesting one for me yeah. because you know Connacht are since the last round they're, they're, they're into eight on 39 points mm. um, they play Edinburgh next at home tomorrow then Cardiff at home and then they're away to Glasgow win two of those and I think they're in the top seven, maybe. They probably have I, to be the first two, two realistically, don't they? The, they, the Edinburgh and Cardiff. They have to beat Edinburgh and Cardiff, yeah. And then they're away to Glasgow in the last one. But they've given themselves a real shot in the arm here. Um, you wouldn't have thought it kind of two, three months ago. 
um, of of really getting something out of the season now by making the playoffs number one and also being in Europe. The problem they are if they finish if Connacht finished eighth, um, they may not make Europe because one of the well we've no Welsh team in that top eight, and there has to be from the four shields. So that would f- knock them it did knock number eight out if there isn't. Um, so at the moment, if you can imagine where they're sitting at the moment, if it was now and it was over, they're sitting at eight. Cardiff for intent. Cardiff would replace them and, and okay. jump in to Europe. Connacht would still play in the playoffs. So um, hell of a lot to play. Three rounds to go. Um, Leinster obviously stormers tonight. That should be a, a sh- should be a game. And then they're in South Africa. Um, Ulster have three home games. So I think they're in a great position to have a home quarter possibly catch the Stormers as well they'll be hoping Leinster win tonight and that they but they have three home games so they have the easiest run in Ulster Rory Larmer was in contact on YouTube to say that uh, he's loving your jacket very good nice jacket like yeah thank you do you know you bring up the fashion stakes in here yeah. Jesus yeah it's very tasty isn't it putting the pressure on although I wouldn't be going on Chen's uh, judgement on the fashion, fashion Adrian's jealous middle aged fashion set <laughs> Good man, thanks right, for thanks joining games over the weekend. We'll catch up with you next week. A uh, couple of highlights coming up on the OTB Podcast Network today. John Giles will be on the football show. That was from last night's uh, chat with Nathan. The latest from uh, Rugby Daily with Richie and the full Six Nation show with Fiona Hayes and Grace Stavitt as well. You can check all of that out. You can follow OTB across social. Subscribe to the OTB Podcast Network. After this very short break, we're going to have the much acclaimed um, Friday Fire Pit. And during the break, you can hear from Dan McDonald chatting to Nathan about Harland's defence is set ahead of Monday. The talent of the squad. Defensively is the area you go, oh, they've got a lot about them there, that they have Collins, Omobamadele, Egan, O'Shea, Coleman, Doherty, a huge amount of quality that maybe is not fully replicated up the other end of the pitch, but Ireland looked decent in the final third, yet are actually struggling yeah. defensively in games. Well, I suppose, that, I mean, well, okay, I mean, just even to flesh out that discussion, right, if Ireland then did go to, that's a debate point, if Ireland did go to a back four, then you're talking about Kenny going back to what he... No, so what he used to f- prefer, like he always did like playing with wingers, and it mm. was generally like a 4 2 3 1 or 4 1 4 1 or whatever you want to call it, more so 4 2 3 1. So you can, okay, I feel like we can slot the Irish defensive pieces into a hole comfortable enough, but then okay, then who's your two? Okay, okay, Colin, could you play small bone as a two there, maybe, or Malumbi, or, but then like, okay, left left winger, right winger. You know, Mikey Johnson has emerged. Well, Johnson's emerged, there. but I don't know is he a, is he a ninety minute player? You know, um, like okay, you've got McLean, you've got O'Dowda. I get it. Mm. You know, like on the right side, you know, you, okay, you play small bone there. Yeah, he could. You know, Jason Knight a little bit narrow again, or Ogbeni. Um, but again, like they're not all players who are playing those positions with their club. So like, there's there's possibly a bit of work to do to find your best strategy within that, and clearly. Kenny has reached the stage where he spent you know, a lot of last year talking about how the plan was to build a settled squad for the Euros this year, a settled plan. He's very much of you now I've done that now and he's probably gonna live or die by that now. Mm-hmm. What is it called, Friday Fire Pit? Friday Fire Pit. So we just put a bit more thought into dominating the comments box this morning. <laughs> you got to call it like it is. It's Friday like Ooh. what? The Friday Fire Pit. Seven minutes to nine. And I'm delighted to say Kathleen is back with us and Cameron is here. Morning, folks. Hello. Hello. I was joking because I'm uh, filling in for the acclaimed Colin Buhig this morning producing. Same and I was, say. yeah. Oh, wow. Jesus. Okay. Big word. Yeah. Jeez. Um, 
I doubt he's listening, so oh. <laughs> he, he won't hear the compliment. But uh, I was joking that I should have just sat here for the entire show because I just keep bopping it and out and saying hello to you guys. <laughs> We're here for it. Yeah. It's the fire pit. It is. What's in the mixer? Oh, uh, well, I'm rather pissed off actually today. Jesus. So I was watching England Italy last night. Um, fairly okay game. Uh, but was really looking forward to the start because I realised, oh my God, it's England and Italy. So we're going to have the Italian national anthem. This is going to be brilliant. Oh. I don't know if you saw it. it I didn't was, see the anthem actually, but I did hear. It was horrendous. Absolutely. I don't know where this trend of having singers come on and do a kind of um, up-to-date, more adventurous style of the Art anthem house. is yeah just don't change it you know like there was like a there's a Naples the match wasn't it yeah it's a very was American a, thing that isn't it incredibly American we were just talking about this outside and it really annoyed me because that's a belter on its own can uh, I um, throw something out there and by the way not the first time the, the Italy have made a balls of an anthem right <laughs> yeah yeah no that's fair um, <laughs> uh, now bear with me on this one because I did think about it uh, it just was a thought that came into my head when I might have possibly even been at the Aviva last week so as you know um, the you know uh, external factors may have been at play um, <laughs> but I just thought so we go to the stadiums right and uh, people so the national anthems get played they're very nationalistic people get very patriotic about it they're often quite militaristic. Yes. I think it's fair enough to say. It's about, like, you know, either God will protect us or we'll kick the shit out of somebody. and Or if somebody oh. comes and attacks us, you. we'll kick the shit out of them. That's roughly how those things yeah, work. Yeah, or we yeah, don't like, like the English the very much. Ding, ding, ding. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Nice cursing, please, lads. Um, <laughs> what do you call it? So, uh, Ireland's Call, obviously, is has its detractors, but, it, like, it's largely a fairly, like, all arms around each other. Yeah, and we get on with, tame, we, nice. We get on with things. Yeah. Crap couldn't ev- so couldn't could we inspire every nation to do what we're doing? Ditch the national anthem for sporting occasions and come up with a, an anthem that is specific to the sporting arena. That's very. Can't you just be more like us, everybody else? No, it's not. It's not that at all. It's not that at all. It's Even just I an acknowledgement. You've just that thrown that out there because that's like such an intriguing. I know, and I and I apologise for not thinking about this one word prior it. to coming on air to uh, to throw it out there, but. Um, it's not. It's not a. Could everybody do things like us so much as like national anthems are? Can you stop being patriotic? Is that be you just quite say it? Well, like you know, you get offended by the <laughs> English around the bush here. I know. I, I, you, you know, my my views on that are well uh, already. There's nothing wrong with the national anthem at sports. But like you know, event. you'll get very uptight about the English national anthem. Let's say no. There, they, there, there are people. Obviously, anthem. there are people around the world who get uptight about the French anthem or the Portuguese anthem oh, or the German anthem, anthem or whatever. Do you know what I'm saying? Whereas you could actually just remove all of that tension. By in, by tasking these nations to come up with something that's bit let them let them sing God save the king. I don't personally believe in God or the king, but that doesn't mean they can't sing. No, it. but you're also you're you're like ah, you don't enjoy it. No, they might end up with something like Ireland's call, which is like yeah, very hard to get behind. But, but don't let that be the benchmark. Yeah, no, I know that. Do you know right. what I mean? Like the the ethos of it. Is what I'm talking. I about. love Iron V and Iron V is brilliant. You could do I, I like a Eurovision Earth. style contest It'd for be... every nation to work out what their song oh, should be. Because, so when we played Qatar in that friendly, I, I was talking to my brother. We were about to watch it, and they were starting the anthems, and I said, "I've never heard the Qatar anthem," and we made up lyrics, like we said the anthem was probably "We are Qatar." And that is who we are. And then just that for about three minutes. That'd be a good one. But that's the kind of thing that would happen if we tasked people to write their own sporting anthem. It's oh, like it, because it has to 
Like it'll be a camel design by you it, like, having you know. a few beers in watching Ireland guitar and coming up with some bullshit is not like a bench. But they're not reason. To no, not but do it, this. It, you know, you a want, camel. Do you, want, you want Linda Martin singing it? Johnny Logan? Like, is this a Eurovision? Why? Why, why do we have to choose the crap route? Because well, uh, a, a camel well, like, is a horse designed so, by a committee. You would have to appeal to everybody. Well, so, somebody, somebody could come up with something. You have to leave the possibility here. Somebody could come up with something good. Like we can't just say this won't work because it's crap. You know, I, I, I have more empathy for the sort of like it's our national anthem and now is a chance for us to like I I'd hardly mention national anthem and you got the the hand on your chest Shane yeah. but um, you know <laughs> rightly I, so somebody said Frank says that I'm only saying that because I don't know the words to my own anthem I mean I do but also I don't, I'm not five so I'm not offended by that it's uh, you know I, if I didn't know them I don't know them and that would be it as happens I do and another one in here saying um Bum, ba, da, bum, bum, bum. No, no music at sta- uh, stadiums, please. And Flying Hellfish, I am obliged to mention this, uh, says, congrats to Grammar beating Marist in the Senior Cup final on Wednesday. Uh, sad face, oddly, it says after Ooh, this. So. Right. But it was a convincing win for Sligo Grammar. Grammar represent. Yeah, it was pretty great. Congratulations. Thank you well very done. Much. It was a great win. <laughs> Good luck to you. I wish you luck. But, <laughs> yeah. Um, I can't believe what you've just said, Adrian. Go on, sorry. Well, there's, but there are people, David McLean here says, shocking idea. I'm open. I, I understand I, that. Absolutely. Yeah, I understand that. like I'm kind of, I find it interesting because you, no. you bring up the point of national anthems and I think I've said this before when we've talked about it. Like I covered a lot of games in England and I never stood for their national anthem and then as it went on, I never stood for anyone's national anthem because I was like, well, I can't really just like pick and choose one country because... Everyone kind of has their issues, mm. especially in something like the Six Nations or, I don't know, the games I was covering. And would it be more comfortable of an experience to... Like, I I totally agree with Shane. I love the national anthem. I enjoy going to Croke Park and belting out around the and I'm very much the person that stands there and does that. But would it be a more comfortable experience if, say, you are going to games in England or you're going to games in the US... And you don't have to stand for anthems or you don't have to sit there and listen to things that maybe bring up uncomfortable connotations that's, to you? Well, that's a really good point. I suppose we never really think about what it, the effect it has on the players. Like I've heard plenty of players like Rob Carney and stuff saying it's the longest 12 minutes in the world waiting mm. and doing the anthems. Like imagine you're just ready to go out and play the game. You've Got you've and got out of the dressing room. You're onto, the, and then you have to stand there going. Oh, by the way, if you weren't shitting yourself already, yeah. you also have the hopes of a nation. Just sorry, yeah. just to let you know. That's the pomp and ceremony, though. It's part of the. It's been part it's, of the sporting process for. Sing, a like, forget about the anthem aspect. You're going out. We'll go out now and sing a song, and then you can go and, and play the game. Sure, songs and, are part of our culture. And sorry, my last point in as well is that of course we may end up having to um, if uh, discussions go the way people expect over the next 5, 10, 15 years, yeah. we may end up with a 32-county Ireland and the anthem is going to get stuck in the bin either way. Mm. Well, I always think, like, in the end of... <laughs> well, maybe, I, well, maybe we sing something, yeah, maybe we sing something else that's more all-encompassing. For sure. I know it's different for us here, but say, like, in the US and the NWSL, they play the American national anthem before every game, and, like, the players who aren't from the US are also expected to stand there and sing the national anthem to the US, and, like, US... A lot of well, it, it kind of mixes. Some fans don't really care, and then other US fans get really annoyed if, say, like Marsha doesn't sing the US national anthem, and you're kind of like, well, why do the players have to stand there and listen to another country's national anthem and be expected to sing it and participate in it, or like turn to the flag and put the hand on the chest and do the whole thing? It's too much. Like, mm. are you open to the national anthem uh, changing? No, nope. in the context of a 32 county Ireland. Oh well. Uh, 
or like, or you could well, you could have two songs and no, that wouldn't work. Why? Well, because there, there would be yeah, issues yeah, the, with the wording of the current anthem, and you're forcefully for, differentiated. Well, well, put it this way: if if having a United Ireland means coming to some sort of arrangement where where we change the song, then I, I think a lot of people would. That's what I'm asking. Would, I'm yeah. asking you. Yeah, Are you up for I, that? I certainly would accept that. Um, I, that. I'd be up for one song. In fact, uh, Tender Chicken Fifty Six has said that we should just play Mr. Brightside. And sing that. Yeah, yeah. Which would we change okay. translate it to Ask Oilgan? No, 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 no. Just leave it as it is because it's the the closing song to every nightclub I've ever been to. So it does the, have that place in the national the Gale conscience. That used to do the songs every summer oh, that yeah. went Bergen. viral. Yeah, get them to do. <laughs> um, no offense, lads, but Catherine, uh, your view on this is who I'm most interested in. Uh, are you open for ditching the anthem? It's honestly very. I. I want a 32 county Ireland and I'm definitely open to changing things but I also find it difficult saying that because um, all my family came from the north, came from a Republican background, very much would think that they lost a lot of their identity over the years that they spent during the Troubles and it's something that we've talked about a lot in my house and there's been a lot of back and forth but I also have a lot of friends who are similar age to me, like mid-twenties who want to move on and want to have uh, a different identity for everyone and a shared identity. So I'm definitely open to it as a conversation, but it's still, it's hard for me to say that, I think, which I think is fair enough as yeah, well. It's not supposed to be easy. If we're to make yeah. accommodations for stuff that we haven't done up to this point, it's yeah. not supposed to be yeah. I think that's the thing. Like, I, it just always sticks in my head about my parents because I know how much they feel they lost and they've always wanted to be recognised for their Irishness and stuff like this means a lot more to them than it does to me. So I can flippantly say, yeah, it'd be hilarious if we had a different song and didn't play national anthems before games. But I know for them, it means something entirely different. And I know for other people, they might think the complete opposite way. So maybe that is as good a reason as any to change it up a little bit. Because the reason we brought this up is we were going to talk about um, stadiums and the best stadiums in the world off the back of the T.G. Cahar documentary, the series that started last night where um, Dara Kaneda visits different stadiums around the world, like the Azteca Stadium. I think he was at Anfield last night. Um, Gorge Orga, if you want to watch it. Gorge Orga, exactly. And um, the best, like what makes a great stadium, I guess, or a great venue? Um, I think you have to look at the video that's gone viral this morning of Argentina, their first game at home since the World Cup win, I think. And just like the sound that's coming off, like we can only see a Twitter video of it. But could you imagine actually being there? The noise, the it actually looks like a cauldron, the way everyone is almost like half leaning forward in their seats and all the players have like their kids out with them. They're in tears. The coaches are in tears. You wouldn't want to be facing into that as an opposition team at all. Mm. I have two answers for this. The most beautiful stadium slash venue I've ever been at was the Red Rocks Amphitheatre. Yes. Which is just outside Denver, Colorado. It's in Morrison, I think, okay. Colorado. Have you been there? No, I've never it, been there. Oh, my God. Like, you, you've, the Beatles, so many great artists have, have played there. You can, there's even a little museum at the, at the site as well. But it's Red Rocks, so you can imagine what it looks like. But it's just this tiered seating. I don't know exactly what the capacity is, but um, it's like natural sound just bouncing off the rocks and it's just unbelievable not to mention you can see Denver in the distance and uh, beautiful American landscape so that's the most beautiful and then just obviously the Crucible Theatre I mean mm. nice and 
compact 900 people, I think. 900 to Drink a game, take a uh, shot. 906 <laughs> <laughs> snooker. There you go. If you're yeah, playing <laughs> Shane Bingo today, yeah. you're we've nearly all, there. We've got them all in. You only uh, gave you people two drinks. a space interview earlier mentioned. So. Space, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Astronauts, space, uh, yeah, snooker. Yeah, we've got, got it all in. But Crucible for, for many reasons. Is there, like, what's the feeling in a stadium that the that small like 900 people that's a very is it an intense atmosphere because obviously it's quite quiet as well yeah. unless there's mm. a break in play considering the sport like it's so intense and anyone who moves obviously the players are straight away looking around and you don't want to be that person whose phone goes off or who farts or who uh, does something <laughs> disrespectful <laughs> Ronnie O'Sullivan giving you the stink ah, you can imagine so yeah it's, it's, it's just there's something about the atmosphere and the, the stars and the lights and the fact that it hasn't changed since the 80s like it, it pretty much looks the same as it did when Taylor won that 85, <clears throat> 85 black ball final. So a special place, the Crucible. I'm heading back next month. Can't wait. Is it So is it the stadium itself that's good or is it the event that you see there when you're there? Mm. Oh, it's a mix of both. Like I would throw as a very left field choice National Basketball Arena out in Tala. Wow. I've been there and it's been absolutely brilliant on Cup Final Weekend. Really, really great atmosphere. Very animated crowd incredible noise that they can generate because obviously it echoes as well but oh it's brilliant I definitely recommend going out if you get a chance to go to either a national game or one of the cup final games but yeah it is it is the event as well I suppose but it's yeah it's whatever that intangible thing called atmosphere is if you can capture that within a stadium because the Aviva for ages everyone used to say it just doesn't have an atmosphere you can't generate that mm. and I think they've done a great job in terms of trying to um, correct that but it is very very hard to do that just like forcefully it has to be natural I think Freed from Desire do you know when Freed that from, should be we should sing that when Freed from Desire came on I thought oh, I turned to my panel and I was like what's the story what was this? it like in the but stadium but when the beat dropped then I was like oh this makes sense yeah. this, this on, is great like, on TV yeah. I was, I was uh, well they played it twice they not only played it once they yeah, yeah. played it once and then they went off for a while they played some other stuff and then they came back to it again but the yeah. play, the, I think the crowd were vibing off the fact that the players seemed to love it yeah so Sexton was, was loving it. it yeah that's kind of what like uh, sort of kicked things the atmosphere actually funny enough that you mentioned at the Viva Saturday was a bit weird but I felt that it was more that like the feel felt to be like a boisterousness before the game started then it looked like the game was so flat mm. people got very nervous and I think people sort of went into their shells a bit because the the um, char- the swing law would break out and then uh, you know yeah. in one corner and then people would either shout just noise loud noises <laughs> just to make that go away yeah. uh, or start singing the fields but it never really took on mm. in a way that like was I just think people have been nervous about it I think yeah mm. I was at um, I used to steward at the Aviva and I was at the 2018 All Box game all right and I remember that just because of the intensity and the focus that was so palpable in the stadium and we were just we were at the very far corner watching um, that was absolutely incredible because it was on a knife edge I don't think atmosphere necessarily needs to mean noise and good humour and stuff it can be just the intense focus that's going on that can be an atmosphere in itself Did you ever get to chase a streaker while you were Jordan? No, no, I like didn't sadly, that, no. You're, you're posing that as if that was a well, positive if, thing. Did if, you ever if, get if, to? If you have stewarded yeah. at the Aviva on your CV, you know, 
the first question you want to ask is, did you ever chase a striker? No, I was up in premium, unfortunately. Oh, okay. uh, so you weren't even a steward send a match positions? No, game. I was looking at tickets and uh, right. minding the toilet door. So all the glamorous jobs out Like there. in case the door ran off or something? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, because there was like, you'd have to streamline it so people couldn't go through the um, exit door. Okay. Which they inevitably did. And yeah. then kind of <laughs> half apologised when they did. Oh, I didn't realise. Well, I'd say they weren't. Uh, apology being, accepted, Jesus. I'm sure yeah. you weren't... Uh, Sticking too stringently to the to the rules, Cameron. Yeah, a lot of wandering off. Is uh, are we done? I think so. I think well, so. we still have Kilban to come up. I know it's a yeah. Hugo Keenan in a little bit. I met more. I, I met more. Smolder. The fire pit. <laughs> the fire pit here, is, yeah. I was just going to ask. Is it out? Smolder. Give us some love in the comments for the fire pit, please. Do, like, yeah, stop with the hate. We don't need the hate. Just, just. <laughs> Even lie to us if you don't like it. Uh, a lot of people asking about a, a woke national anthem, which of course, uh, like you know, is not really what we're talking about here. But um, <laughs> no, it doesn't need to be all the negative stuff. Like the, we could come up with something good. If we yeah, yeah I mean, from desire is probably the best. Danny Boy, somebody is saying here, which uh, I run a vein. I think is pretty good. Yeah, yeah. it's a good. Show. <laughs> uh, that's it for the fire bit this Friday. What is it called, Friday Fireplace? Friday Fireplace. So we just put a bit more thought into dominating. This is about this You gotta call it like it is. It's Friday, like what? The Friday Fireplace. Friday morning. Uh, delighted to have you with us, and thanks for all the comments over the course of the day. OTPM, would you let Labs get the ultimate shave or your money back? Neon Night Edition is available now. On Monday show, we'll have Jean Philippe Leclerc. We're going to have Anthony Moyles looking back at the weekend of uh, football league matches. Alan Quinlan, of course, in the rugby, and uh, Shane's Gillette Labs performance rankings, and plenty more as well. Besides, right now, Kevin Kilban uh, was chatting to me yesterday about who he picked to play France on Monday, and plenty more. Enjoy the weekend. You're listening to OTB. AM. All right, welcome back to OTB AM. Delighted to say, live from Canada, he's just put on his Mayo top. You haven't seen the Mayo top for the last number of months because they've been in mourning as they tend to be at this time of the year, but they're top of the world now. So the Mayo top, Mayo top is on, Kev. Oh, not at all, not at all. I've just been, I've been uh, out today and I, you know, I'm just, I'm wearing the colours and that's pretty much it. There's no, uh, there's nothing, nothing more than that, to be honest with you. We're not on top of the world. Things are going okay. We won't get too excited. We won't get too carried away. You know that. Uh, so yeah, we'll see. We'll see how it goes for the for the Ross Common game and beyond. You know, I was going to get. I was going to ask you, do you when you're out and about where you are in your part of the world, do you get many people going? Oh, you're a Mayo supporter. Do you get many people going? Oh, you're Kevin Kibbe. No, 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 not at all. Really. I, I, Friday night or Friday when I was out for Paddy's Day last week, um, I went into a bar, into a pub, and the, the the guy who was singing, he's in the Dublin jersey. As I walk in. <laughs> So he he did, honestly didn't recognise me at all. Didn't say anything to me, but he like he starts like grabbing the jersey, like he's like, yeah. yeah. And I said, yeah, go on, whatever to him. And then half an hour later, he's obviously sat down and whatever. After he's finished his his gig and finished the hour or so that he was on, he he then comes over to me and starts to chat. Really sorry, he didn't know who you were and all this <laughs> sort of thing. So no, I don't really get I don't get recognised at all. Hardly no, no. Going for a pint with you when you were over in this part of the world was horrific. Like you'd never be able to have a conversation with you because the you know legitimately you are both the country's nicest person and also one of the most no. recognisable sports people in the country. So you know a lot of people want to get involved. You must no. enjoy the like quasi anonymity almost, do you? I don't. Uh, I don't think of it either way. Honestly, I don't think of it either. I um, you know, I well, I lived in Dublin probably for six years. And I always thought I always referenced the fact is I only moved to Dublin actually because of you, Adrian, as you well know. So, um, and I had a 
I had too good of a time, I have to say that. So um, it's probably because I was too much of a face around town that people recognised me more than anything. That was that was the thing. I, I was out too much. Now I'm living a more uh, a more secluded Today. life, which is, which I needed to. I needed to actually. I needed to. Well, you uh, you moved to Dublin because of me, which is a slight mischaracterization, but we'll allow it. And you moved to Canada for uh, similarly uh, similarly good yeah, because things. of you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Equally, also. I had too much of you. Now, uh, if we had a production team around, they'd be telling me, shut up and move on. So we'll do that. Um, we, I wanted to ask you about, I, I'm obliged to ask you because I think the whole item was set up around asking you about France 2004. So I'll do that uh, a little bit later. But uh, the game, first of all. So um, I want to get your impressions. Do you remember Sven's expression? First half good, second half not so good. Probably appropriate to last night. I think that's probably fair. Um, I watched the game yesterday. Um, obviously, it was the middle of the afternoon here. And then once everybody had gone to bed last night, I kind of stayed up and I watched it. We had live coverage actually here, live on on the zone, which mm. it's very unusual. They get the qualifiers now. So it was nice. I didn't have to go looking for some dodgy stream, you know, trying to pick up, trying to trying to get the game, which was quite nice just to actually watch it in the in the comfort of the house. But I watched the game. I, I actually only watched the first half back last night again. Um, and there was so much to like, particularly as you say about the first half. I think first twenty minutes, something that I've been on with you, uh, with you guys over the last um, two or three years, and I've bemoaned the fact that we've we've started games so poorly. I felt I felt we've we've started with no tempo. I think we've not necessarily been able to get going. There's been a, a lack of chances created uh, during the first half of so many games. Whereas last night, the first twenty minutes, especially the first twenty minutes, it was it was it was actually great to watch. Really good front foot football, um, without the ball, excellent. I felt I really felt we were excellent without the ball. I, I really liked the back three, um, O'Shea, Collins, and Omabamadeli with the way they were stepping in. Particularly Collins early on, he stepped in early. He gave a loose pass after a couple of minutes, but. I think it set the tone for us that they were going to step in. They were prepared to do that. Now, it'll be interesting to see if that can be replicated against France. I'm, I'm, I'm not so sure. There might be a little bit more caution, but it was good to see that. I think distribution from the back was excellent as well. When we had possession, build up from the back, the use of Malumbi into midfield, I thought was was uh, was really, really good. And then getting Ferguson and, and um, Obafemi into the game as well. Uh, there, were, there was a lot to admire. There was a lot to like. And... 40 minutes or whatever it was. Apart, I mean, they had the chance. I was disappointed. The only one I would say that, that, that really disappointed after, it was about 20 minutes, 20 minute mark when they had a chance, should have scored, guilt edge chance. I felt Omobamadeli Oma, Oma switched off. He's tried to play offside. He's tried to step up. A little slow to react, allowed mm. the chance. But other than that, really for 40, 40 minutes, whatever it was before the goal, it was Really positive stuff. Great stuff, actually. Uh, could have been three up. Should have had a penalty. Clear cut penalty, in my opinion. Clear cut penalty. But regardless of all that, it, there was a lot to admire. And then all of a sudden, you're going in at half time. It's two all, and you're thinking, "Jesus, how the hell has, has this happened?" But got the goal in the second half, and it was comfortable. I thought they were very, very poor. I have to say that. I thought Latvia were really poor, actually. But they provided a couple of little moments within that game and got the two goals. And that's my only worry from it, really, I think, throughout that first half. Well, that could be a big worry, of course, is the thing, given the quality of the opposition. And like you said, there was a couple of chances that they missed that were maybe even better chances than the goals they got that would yeah, cause you yeah. a little bit of concern. The, the conversation obviously moved very quickly after the game last night to, right, what can we take from this in terms of selections? Ahead of Monday yeah, night, yeah. like you have Smallbone, you have the Coleman question, the goalkeeper question. Yeah. You have obviously Ferguson's done pretty well. Uh, Benny has made a difference when he comes in. Um, yeah, so what's what's where do you want to jump in on all of that? 
Uh, well, we'll start with the goalkeeper. We'll go back to front, will we? Um, I, I've, I've seen one or two. You know, I, you're obviously putting a few tweets out around various things that's happened in the game. Um, certainly a lot of positives, I think, certainly with the new guys coming in or relative new guys. I'm, I'm still calling Ferguson, you know, it was his first start, so we have to put him in small ball and, and, uh, and Mikey Johnson category. Mm. But um, but if we go from uh, Cuevin Kelleher, uh, I know there's a lot of, I mean, the, the commentator here was really, really felt that uh, Cuevin Kelleher should have saved both goals. I, I mean, I don't know what you're thinking yourself. I, I actually felt he wasn't to blame for either. If you look at the first goal, again, another strike from outside the distance, uh, outside the box. We're getting beat by so many of these. It's, it's crazy, really. An abnormal amount of goals from outside the box that we're conceding. Now, yes, you look at the goalkeeper, I suppose he's the one you do look at from from that. Quivin Kelleher, there was a suggestion that he didn't move his feet well enough. He couldn't get the necessary spring. He went with the wrong arm, all these sort of things. I, I just think he's not saving that. I, I genuinely don't think he's going to make the save from from the strike. It was an excellent strike uh, that went in. Can we and linger the on that for, one, for, for a second? Right, on, just, just on him, because I don't want to spend too much time, because I think Bazuna probably comes in and, like, the ultimately, of course, he, of course, I haven't a clue, number one. But you know that I feel as really? if you should, no, no, goalkeepers get all personal about it when you start to mention exactly. Uh, and, 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 I, 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 I wouldn't be one for, for for I wouldn't be one agent as you know for really getting behind goalkeepers and saying that they're great in all circumstances. But I just don't feel as though we could have done much more on either. I, Sorry, I'm not sure on. about that. I'm not sure about that. But I, right, yeah, no, you feel, you feel so under uh, qualified to make any comment about it that I I'm not sure. It didn't look great to me at the time. Uh, particularly when that sort of bobbled up in front of him and he failed to get away. But I also sort of take the context of he's not playing football at all. And like, yeah. you know, we were chatting earlier on over and back in voice notes and, you know, you were making the point that obviously Bazuna was a couple of years of football under his belt and Keller has SFA under his belt. And at some point or yeah. another, as far as I'm concerned, that's a monster issue for him. Forget about the Ireland stuff, like as a, for a career, he's going to need to start playing football soon. Yeah, I, I... Of course, he, he has to. He has to. At what stage are you going to get in your career or are you going to get to in your career before you make that decision? I have to start playing football. For me personally, I was like 18. I wanted to play football. You know, various options I could have had when I was 20, 21, when I was leaving West Brom. And there wasn't necessarily with a guarantee of playing first team football. I wanted to play football. And I know we've changed a lot since then. So I, I think we've, we've, we're, I have to legislate a little bit for that, that there's a mindset different, particularly for goalkeepers. But Bazuna's played two seasons now, two full seasons. I, I, I'd say he's, in my eyes, he's number one. Aside of the goals, that people can have their own opinion on it for whatever. I, I don't think um, he could have done much more, and that's my own personal opinion on it. I don't think he looked great, Keller. I don't think with his feet. I think he looked a little bit shaky, in my opinion. Not that shaky is maybe the wrong wrong term. I just don't think he looked. It just didn't look right, and uh, you know, and that doesn't. It, it, it's not a great evaluation when you're saying that. But I think there was one time he took the first touch, went behind him, almost like give a corner away, and then he's swinging his left leg at it to clear it. It just didn't look. It didn't look sharp. game ready. Yeah. Sharp, sharp. Now, whether or not that's, he might suggest, he might tell you and, and say, look, I'm I'm training every day at a certain level. But in, in my my feeling of it is, you always get better the more games you're playing, the more confident in your surroundings, and. I don't think he he looked entirely comfortable. In my opinion, I think uh, Gavin Bazuna is is the number one right now for a reason because he's played a couple of years, and I think he's ahead of him. I think that's the way that it is now. We might not have thought that two years ago. We might have thought that they're neck and neck, and they're at a certain level or a, a similar level. But Bazuna's played a lot more games now, and I think he, he deserves to be number one. And I think he should start against France. 
I know you have concerns about Omar Vandele and that included, but like Coleman coming in from Monday night seems like, uh, to be honest, to me, seems almost like a little bit of a no-brainer in terms of his experience, yeah. the leadership that he brings. He's been playing okay for Everton. Like he's a real steady pair of hands there. Personally, I'd, 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 I'd play Seamus Coleman, definitely. Uh, no, it wasn't so much I was, uh, unsh- uh, wasn't convinced of Omar Vamadeli. I think he's very good on the ball. I think his quality is good, although in the first half, again, he was a little slack with a couple of passes. And again, we're being overly critical. It was more the chances that, that was given up. The, the, the chance right at the start, I think it was the 46th minute, just at the start of the second half as well. He misjudged the flight of the ball. He actually reacted well to force the... Latvian player to take the strike early. He couldn't necessarily wait for it. So then he put it over the top of the bar. And then, as I said earlier on, the one around 20 minutes where he gave up the chance trying to play offside. Uh, I don't think as convincing as when I've seen him. I really like, I really liked him when he first played for Ireland. I thought, wow, this guy is going to go on and be, be exceptional. Now, all of a sudden, Darrow O'Shea, Nathan uh, Collins have, have really started to develop now. Personally, I, I play Seamus Coleman alongside those two. Um, I think I think O'Shea was very good last night. Apart from maybe the the second goal where he he got himself in a, a you know a bit of a, a, a or got tangled up with Odauda going for the same ball where that should never have happened. Don't get me wrong. I thought O'Shea was very good. I thought he looked accomplished on the ball. Very good defensively as well. So I personally, I would I go with Collins, O'Shea, and um, and Coleman. I think that's the best trio. I think they're in the best form right now. I think Sheamus has been playing very well for Everton, uh, and I think it suits him playing in a back three like that. So I'd go with Coleman. Yeah. What's your midfield? I think uh, Will Small, uh, Smallbone last night with how he played, he's he's definitely put me into contention. I think Cullen absolutely starts. I think he has to start. Malumbi did well last night. Um, he's never really found a, a, a real consistency for every game he's played uh, played for Ireland, uh, Jason Malumbi. But it looks as though he could be. He, well, Cullen will definitely start. I think that's the way it's going to be. I mean, Alan Brown, who I really like, Alan Brown. But I think that Malumbi's been playing well. I think at West Brom, him and Smallbone look uh, look, look very good together. But it, it's probably going to be Malumbi. And uh, and Jason Knight, who's probably going to start. So yeah. Smallbone might miss out, but I think Smallbone certainly, with how he played, delivery for the first goal, exactly what he played, man of the match performance from him. I thought he played really well, and he's certainly a great option for us. I, I think sometimes you've got to go with what's been around the camp in the past. Sometimes that's not always the case, but I'd probably just just go with Malumbi and Jason Knight, just go with that three, but but very very close on Smallbone. Yeah, like, you know, and that may be exactly the way it goes. Like, I mean, I think we can all, and uh, Mikey Johnson probably fits into this category as well. To be fair, to be fair, Smallbone's like player of the match and, and has bossed the game. So it's a different level, but, like, you know, there can be a bit of um, momentum can get behind a player like that. Yeah, Whereas he's I don't, I don't, I, I'd understand, for... I'd understand if Stephen Kenny started him. That's where that I would look okay. at. I'd understand because of how well he did play. Um, I even look back to my first in, in, uh, introduction into the squad or first appearance. I wasn't expecting to start my first game and we played uh, in Owen Hans' testimonial against the League of Ireland Select and I, I, I played quite well in the game and all of a sudden Mick goes, right, we'll throw you in. So there's a, there's a little bit of that that you're playing well and we, I mean, I, was, I had a nightmare in, in the Iceland game. I think that's probably common knowledge at this stage but it doesn't necessarily always work out that because he's played well in that game that he's going to do well against France. It, it'll be a different game and yeah. personally, 
I think Malumbi, with the physical nature that he's going to bring to our midfield, I'd probably go with Malumbi just for how he's going to get around the pitch and maybe close down. It won't necessarily always be about being in possession of the ball in that France game. You prefer the Ogbene Ferguson connection there. Um, like, yeah. Obafemi, to be fair to him, um, obviously, number one, has a propensity for a world class goal. That's absolutely in, in his locker. And um, look, I'm not sure about his all around game, but certainly there are times in the game where he has a little bit of X factor that we, that we don't have a huge amount of. Mm, I'd agree with that. I would. I just don't always know what I'm going to get from him. Uh, that's the way that I would look at um, Obafemi. I think at times, too many balls bounce back off him. Um, his hold-up play sometimes, in my opinion, isn't what I would expect from a, from an international centre-forward. But he does give you that little bit of X-factor. At times last night, I thought his work rate was good. I thought mm-hmm. his movement in behind on a couple of occasions, particularly through that first half, was was very, very good. And as you say, he gives us that unpredictability. I think he does give us that up front. Um, I prefer Ogbeni. I like Ogbeni. I really think that he he brings. Uh, I think his movements better personally. I think he's. I think he's. His hold up play at times, even last night coming in, a couple of things bounced off him. But his introduction and and wanting to make an impression last night was was very very good. Um, so uh, I, I understand. The, the link up, or understand the combination of, of Ferguson starts, Adrian. No doubt in my mind, uh, Evan Ferguson has to start. There's no other question for everything that he brought last night. What, as I said, I watched that first half back last night and I actually was watching it going, yeah, wow, very, very good. You know, as we talk about, I, I, I've spoken recently about how what the things that he can do coming off to play as a 10. Um, playing right up front as a nine, his hold-up play. He's, he's playing on the half turn, taking the ball on the back foot with the ability to to, to, to take the ball towards opposition defences that immediately puts them on the back foot, looking for movement off. Um, everything, everything to his game. There's no doubt, If I think it'll be a huge mistake if Stephen Kenny doesn't start him. Absolutely huge mistake. For the form that he's in, obviously he the goal, we're going to talk about the goal. He has to. He has to. Adrian, right. he, he has to. Is it has a slightly different role, Kev, when you're, you're up against that quality, that quality of that France defence, obviously, would be a million miles. Is he a little bit deeper in that position or how do you see that working out for him? Well, I think, I think he can play different ways, as, as I was saying there. I think he can, he can play deep. He can come deep and, and be, become involved in link-up play. I think he can play high, high through the middle and stretch opposition defences. I think he's got a lot of quality to his game. That's what I was saying there. I mean, if, 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 it, if it's Obafemi, if I'm Michael Obafemi and I'm going to play alongside him, what I would be concentrating, what I would do in these next few days, I would watch what Evan Ferguson did in that first half and think, right, how am I going to be able to stretch opposition? Now, if Ferguson's dropping deep, I'm going to go every time for a little setback pass. I might be the one that's going in behind for a first-time ball played in uh, in behind France. There's mm. there's certain ways that he can really capitalise. If it's Obafemi or whether it's Ogbeni, whoever it's going to be, Probably you would have to say uh, Obafemi is the man who's who scored goals in the past and all Ogbeni last night did the business. But it might be that he's going to use Ogbeni off the bench and Obafemi can find ways to really hurt France off the back of what Evan Ferguson does because he's such a clever player. Well, even that little assist last night, like the, the intelligence to get to the end line understand the flight of the ball if it was to get past the keeper it was coming his direction and get the little flick Yeah, that and that's, that's instinctive, isn't it, that as well? Just find himself in a position... Um, you know, it, it looked on first glance it was out, but I don't think I actually think it was. And Ferguson finished. It was great. It was a fitting uh, story for Ferguson to score on his on his first start, wasn't it? It was great for him. 
Uh, and we're all, we've all got a lot of expectancy around him. And, and that's the difficulty without putting too much pressure. And, I, you know, I'm, I think everyone will tell you that that's been in the game. The game can come back to bite you in the ass very, very quickly. Um, but he's in form. He's playing well. Everything to his game, you can't help but love watching him play in, 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 in every aspect of his game. I think physically he can handle it. Um, he can handle, he's, he's got a little bit of pace. He's not unbelievably quick, but he's got a little bit of pace. He, he can get away from defenders, but he's also got such class, such class on the ball. And um, as I said, I, he's, it's a no-brainer to start him. He, he, he simply has to start in the game. Yeah, even his attitude. Stephen Doyle did an interview with him afterwards, and you know he was just giving him nothing. You know, there was like uh, there's a real sort of mature head or whatever. Like he was very yeah, yeah. He's got he's got a great grounding, obviously, and his dad. I'm sure has given him plenty of advice and all that. So um, and then Doherty and Adada are they just uh, any changes there? Yeah, I think that I can't I can't see. It. I think Adada or Dowda scoring. I, I I like some of the things that Calm or Dowda does in that position. I like that that he's. I think I think he's engaging further up the pitch. I think he's got more of an understanding of the, of the position as he's as as he's gradually played there a little bit more. Um, half a yard on his uh, uh, to shift the ball gets his crosses in. Put a couple of actually decent balls in that we didn't necessarily get on the end of last night. I like the fact of both wide men, and again, it was something that stand out. Ferguson's knowledge at such a young age as well. Um, Matt Doherty coming inside, or or Matt Doherty, as I was hearing quite regularly mm-hmm. last night. Uh, Coming inside, Ferguson faces up, immediately faces up for the little bounce pass inside, little give and go inside. He, was, he did it a couple of times with O'Dowda. Um, the, the way I would look, it was something that I would always try to learn as a kid. Um, when you're playing in wide areas, you're checking back onto your right-hand side. So it's, it's either a little inside of the right foot pass or an outside of the left foot pass, a little give and go. Try to run off the, off, uh, the back of that pass. You can either go across him, you can either go back on the outside, and Ferguson is immediately in the position to do it. He's, he, honestly, I bet he's a, I bet he's a joy for, for Doherty and, and Ordowder to play with, because he's going to make you look better with mm. the things that you do with, with his movement inside, So, um, or with their movement inside, should I say. Um, so, yeah, I'd, I'd be quite content with, uh, with Callum Ordowder. James McLean, obviously, he's a great option to, to bring on if, if something needs to happen in the game. Mikey, uh, but, are you but, getting Mikey in there too early? I wouldn't start him. I wouldn't start him. Um, I just think it's how you're going to get him into the side. It might be a change of system, a, a three-four-three um, with how it might have to be. You know, whether it be Ogbeni off off the right, or it wouldn't necessarily suit uh, Obafemi playing off the right hand side. But a three-four-three system would be the ideal system. But it might be a little bit too adventurous. It might be a little bit too. Um, I don't know. Uh, I, I'm looking. What I'm saying is, I'm I, I'm too positive still, almost. yeah, too positive. I'd look for a little bit more caution. I would yeah. with, with the game because they're going to have more of the ball, necessarily um, more of the ball than us, but they're going to have more of the ball than Latvia had. I think we had like 82 percent possession after 20 minutes last night. That's not going to happen against France. So I think I would want a little bit more midfield solidity and Ferguson or Ferguson or Benny Ferguson uh, or Buffemi. Oh, Benny might be a better option because I think he's more of a, a player that can drop back and, and, and over or make an overload in midfield. And it might be Ferguson as a, as a lone striker at times, how that, how that is going to go. But uh, there, there is Stephen Kenny. The one thing we've not said over the last couple of years is Stephen Kenny's got options and he's got very good options off the bench and we've got options to change the system within that. So um, 
I'd, I'd be positive, way more positive going into this game. And I know that Latvia, Latvia were dreadful. I'd say that Latvia were really poor, I thought. Um, and we allowed them to play at times through through the game last night and, get, and gifted them a couple of chances, too many chances in my opinion, uh, for the quality that we've got. France, we know, is going to be different. But I, I think with a little bit more midfield solidity with... The various options that Stephen Kenny or the various options that Stephen Kenny has got, I think uh, I think we can put it up to them, and I'd be I'm quite confident. I'm quite confident that we can actually get something from the game. All right, well, that's a good note to leave that particular conversation on. Um, I am obliged to ask you because you tweeted about this during the weekend. Our erstwhile producer Colm sent it on by way of setting up this entire piece, um, which was uh, which is great. So, 10th of October 2004, uh, France uh, World Cup qualifier, World Cup 2006 qualifier. Nil nil in Paris, and I quote you here, Kev, uh, from the Guardian, and you can take it up from here. With the midfield battleground obviously up for grabs, Brian Kerr plumped for Kevin Kilban's energy uh, to dovetail with the old warrior Roy Keane. Um, I think you were up against Mavuba and Decor, if I'm right, from looking at the um, team sheets from that night. Uh, Kilban's energy wasn't, I have to say, not the greatest compliment that that uh, whoever that was could have yeah. Yeah, Kilban's Kil- Kil- lack of quality but energy. He brings ah, uh, he gives it his all, doesn't he? You know, that's uh, that's the uh, well, that's, it, it? that's 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 a mischaracterization of history. Um, <laughs> go on. Uh, I had certain qualities. That's that's the thing. Um, uh, no, I do you know what. There's not too honestly. My overriding memory, genuinely, and I, you know, again, sounds a bit corny. My overriding memory from that game was thirty thousand Irish supporters at the game. Yeah. It was unbelievable. I away from home to have an atmosphere like that uh, was it was the best the best atmosphere for a, an away performance and I think that's what gave us the momentum in that game to play the way we did we should have probably should have won the game I, um, everyone always talks about John O'Shea's miss from the game everyone always says that he should have scored and maybe he should have done maybe he should have hit the target well, he had a chance extent, but but yeah, I know, but I, I think it was a hard chance for John. It came at him really quickly and he had to react and he just trying to, he just tried to guide the ball on target and it just went wide. So, uh, I can't remember Roy's chance in the game. I don't remember. Header, that. header, I think. Was it? Uh, what, we, did, we, did, was... we did, we did okay. We didn't, we didn't win the game, did we? So ultimately we, we came away from that game and then they came to, to Dublin. And, in uh, later on in that campaign, and Thierry on on restuck in the top corner when yeah, Richard Dunn mocked, mocked him out of the game. The Honestly, Dunn had him in his pocket, absolutely yeah. in his pocket, and then he scored, and there was nothing in that game. It was such that was a, a class game. goal. Yeah, it was a great goal, great goal, class. brilliant, brilliant. As much goal as it pains us all to say that it was an absolute class goal. It was, and again, Henri did nothing in the game. Honestly, Dunn had him in his pocket. Dunn was outstanding on that in that night. And uh, it, ultimately, by not getting that result or the win in Paris, cost us down the line. And there was ultimate, ultimately different factors within that qualification campaign that cost us. And we, I think we, we maybe became a little bit complacent after qualifying for the World Cup that that group of players should have qualified for the next two or three tournaments. We had a really good, really good team, Major. Honestly, good 18 players, I would say. Anyone that came into... Look, I, I, I was in that midfield that night Playing central midfield wasn't probably my best position, but I, I felt as though I should have been in the starting eleven. However, we were going to play or whatever system we were going to use, I felt as though I was good enough. Were you to play. chatting to Brian about that in advance? Was there a conversation about it, or how did it come about? No, I think Brian had seen me play at Everton. Uh, we were probably using a four-five-one system at Everton, and at times I'd played inside. I played in the three-man midfield, left of a three, 
Um, so I, I could do that job playing in there. And I think Brian saw me as, as a way we had to, Damien had to play. So yeah. whether it was going to be Damien up front with Robbie or whether we were going to use other options. We also had Andy Reid. Andy Reid, we had to get Andy Reid to an extent in, into the side as well. You know, I we had... Came in, came off the, did he come off the bench? Uh, did he? he? I don't know. I can't, I can't I remember. I think he came Honestly, in far off. Yeah, Duffer got injured, I think, in that game. I think Duffer got, got a bit of a knock. But Damien had to play. And then Andy Reid, if Andy Reid's fit, Andy Reid has to play for us. Mm. So usually what would have happened, we would have had Robbie up front and it probably would have been Clinton getting left out with Andy Reid playing as a 10 or even Damien playing as a 10 with Andy Reid on the left-hand side. And I played in, inside then to get me into the into the team, I think, because I think Brian wanted his best 11 on the pitch. And, I, you know, we're not being too big-headed or anything, but I felt as though I was, I was certainly in the starting 11, however I was going to get into that team. So it was just about fitting personnel into certain positions and, and getting the best 11 onto the pitch. And, um, that 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 uh, squad that we had, I felt we we underachieved badly. You know, Stephen Carr, Stephen Finnan. Like it was a case of getting them, those two into the team as well. We had two brilliant fullbacks in Carr and Finnan, and I think Stevie played a lot of his games at right midfield so he could get Carr and Finnan into the side. We also had you know Harty at left back. Uh, I could have played left back as well. Um, Kenny, obviously at centre half, who was a you know excellent, brilliant goalkeeper. We, we we had a we had a good side. We had a really good, obviously Roy as well. Got, I'm forgetting Roy, but we had a we had a good squad, and we we underachieved badly, badly, badly underachieved. The honestly, group, and um, that's yeah. The group ended up bringing titles one point between the uh, second, third, and fourth, where Ireland were fourth, and Israel, and then Swiss, the Swiss who went into the playoff and made a ball to the uh, that was that the game the game in Tel Aviv where the man scored from thirty yards out near the last kick of the game was that that campaign? Another another thirty yard effort. You know, we, we it, that's we're falling into that category at the moment. Where mm. I, I read this morning, I think we've conceded on the since twenty twenty one. Uh, more goals from outside the box than any other nation in world football, which is crazy. Really, I don't know why this is happening. Whatever they're happening, but yeah. that was that's what happened then in that Israel game. A long strike. Um, we're not blaming Shea, are we? We're we blaming Shea for that. I don't know. No, no, no it was not. crazy. No, crazy no, I was, was at that, was I was at that game. What? In Tel Aviv, were you? Yeah, I was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was at that game. Yeah, I was working at it, and I remember I mistimed. Went out for a few pints afterwards. A uh, very jolly evening. And I mistimed the uh, departure of the bus the next morning and arrived back at the hotel uh, as all the journalists were getting on the bus. And I was like, I thought I had an hour to spare. And I was, uh, needless to say, I was tired and emotional, Kev. And, uh, yeah, long, you, pulled, long, you pulled the kill ban. It was a long journey, a long journey home. Uh, <laughs> one last one on that, right, before we wrap. Um, so playing centre mid with Roy, not a, a position that we used to against, like, you know, uh, the best player we've ever had in that position, one of the best players in the world ever in that position. What is there a chat beforehand? Is there a chat during the game? Are you communicating? How does, or is it just a case of everybody shut up and go out and play your game and get on with Neil Bark? Would you bark at you if you're doing something wrong? How did all that work? I, I love playing alongside him. I did. Um, I, I, I've always said, I think when Roy was in the side, whether I was playing the left midfield or wherever I was playing in the side, Roy brought the best out of our team. And I felt I, I was probably better when Roy was in, was in our side. Certainly we were as a team. I think that's understandable. I think everybody, everybody recognises that. The only thing Roy used to say to me when I played in the field with him, which shows how far the game has moved and how much it has changed. Roy always used to say to me, don't cross, never cross in midfield, hold your right. position. Whereas now you'll see, we'll look for rotation in midfield. You know, if we're playing with the three, we look for the guys to, to for a bit of rotation to get guys on, on the ball. Whereas 
Roy would happened. It would have had to have happened at some stage if you're getting over to make a challenge. If you're out, if you're out of possession, Roy. The only, the only thing, honestly, nothing more as as simple as that. As simple as it sounds, the game is simple to an extent. Don't cross over. Stay, stay on. You stay on the left. I'll stay on the right. Don't cross over at any stage. And that was the only instruction he gave me. Which, again, the way that the game's played now, that sounds fairly, uh, fairly old school, doesn't it? Was there a chat during the game or no? Not really. No, Roy was quiet. I think it was uh, honestly in the dressing room. He was quiet. Roy like was an, an encouraging had... word or like a, anything like that or no. No, a little bit, a little bit of that. I'm pretty much like like us all. I think at that stage, I was getting a bit more experience in the squad as well. I I would have probably would have been, you know, considered one of the older lads myself at that stage. I probably would have been twenty six, twenty seven, maybe. So I'm getting to the stage where I'm trying to pass on a bit of my experience to the younger players. Anyway, Roy just used to have a cup of tea and a jaffa cake or a cup of tea and a biscuit. That's all he used to have before a game. He'd always always have a cup of tea. Again, even that. It's, you know, mm. nutritionists mm. would tell you that's mm. wrong. Um, everything about it's wrong, but Roy would, would always have a, a biscuit. Was it, I think it was a Jaffa cake. It was definitely the, the digestive the energy, or something energy like that. that yeah, yeah. Uh, Jaffa cake and a cup of tea. That's all Roy used to have. And he'd sit there quietly in his own thoughts, um, not really, not really, as I said, not screaming, not shouting, not giving too much weight. I'm sure most people would tell you that. I'm sure he was the same at Man United. Very quiet. Led by example, when something needed to be said, he would say it. But um, no, not too, not too over the top at all. Uh, what's good for the spirit is not always good for the body. Kev is uh, is the lesson there about the tea and the jaff cakes. <laughs> yeah, I used, yeah, I still like I still like a good cup of tea anyway. Oh, anyway I'm with you. I'm with you. Good enough yeah, to leave yeah. it on. Come here, listen, enjoy you know, the lion, uh, lions or a Barry man. Oh, you, you need to ask. Yeah, well, well, I know you're a good Leinster man yourself, so you're a Lions man and all that. Um, <laughs> no, anyway. I'm Barry's all day long, all day long. <laughs> really? You can't have a surname like mine, Kev, and, uh, and, and not drink Barry's tea, you know? I know that, I know that, I know that. But yeah, everyone in Dublin, oh, they're all Lions man, aren't they? So there you go. <laughs> go, man, enjoy good, the match. A, a good South Sider like yourself. Yeah, no, no, but enjoy the match on Monday. Go, man. Thanks, William. Take it easy, thank you. OTB AM with Gillette Labs. Get the ultimate shave or your money back. Neon Night Edition, available now.